Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Oh, hi. I think we have a third voice again. I think so. Who do we have in the studio? Well, uh, my name is PJ Shard, otherwise known as Paul Wagner, otherwise known as Wisco Dice on Twitter. He has to introduce himself still. 16 episodes into this, he still <laughs> introduces himself as Wisco Dice in Twitter. Anything that makes you listen to my sexy voice longer is a good thing. This is Robert Elmer, also known as Swiss Dictator on the forums and on Twitter. I think he actually posted on our forums, finally. Yeah. And the hobby articles. Good that's, job. That's better than another guy that sh- shows up every once in a while. <laughs> True. He at least, you? He registered. <laughs> That, that counts for something. <laughs> Who are you, sir? I am the Conesy with the most. The wonder and joy of this show. <laughs> yes. Wonder would be a good one. Wonder word. and joy. Fascinating. But I get picked on for having a sexy voice. I defy you, sir. I have no idea who is choosing you for a sexy voice. Once they look at your face, they'll, they'll realize it's all over. That's why I have a great face for radio. That's why I just you have, have this manly goatee. That's why that's why the milkman is the father of your child. <laughs> yeah, you keep messing that up, but anyway. I wasn't the first one that brought that up though, so hey. Well no, but she didn't mess it up. She got it right. That's all I'm saying. She knows. I don't mess it up very often anymore. Well yeah, she better know. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're gonna talk about Invasion Kenosha. Also, we're gonna talk about painting for tournaments. Is that correct? Ben? Uh, I don't. Why? Why do I have to okay if that's correct or not? That's, I'm not. That's okay. what we're talking about. I, that's called a transition. I think it sounds that's theoretically called good accurate. radio to yeah. pass it off to your co-host to say, Ben, is there anything else you could think of to add no. to this statement? No. Is it correct? Yes, that's what we're talking about. Ben, today. would you have anything to add? No, I don't have anything to add. Why am I wasting my time? I don't know because I thought you always wasted you, your time. You are All right. wasting everybody's time like usual. So, what have we done in the past couple of weeks, Ben? Why don't you go ahead and start? I went to a tournament. It was called Invasion Kenosha. I did pretty decent, and then I was a sourpuss and had to release an apology statement. All right. Well, beyond that, I did paint <laughs> up some stuff. Mm-hmm. I painted up some more shades. And I've started because I'm a building bandit for Raj Podge, which is this coming weekend. Building bandit? Which Raj Podge is the real neat thing is that basically it's a team tournament with random team partners all day long. But also kind of an art boys feel. Bring the hardest list you can. I would even say that necessarily. I mean, there's no comp. But they're not advertising it as like bring the hardest list you can. Where at hard boys, that's the point. They're not advertising or telling anybody to do that. Well, that's what they did last it is, year, though. Yeah, but that was the theme of the tournament last year. Last year wasn't a, it wasn't a team tournament. It was just build the hardest, nastiest list you can out of any and all army books combined. Well, I, I might have under, misunderstood the uh, point of this tournament then, but we'll see. We'll probably cover that next episode. It probably will be brought up on the next episode, but I <laughs> and certainly I even in none of the promotional materials. I didn't see anything like. I don't think Raj Podge is locked in any one specific theme. I think they're trying something new. Every year. It's yeah. it's definitely different. But one of the big things that comes from this year is there's no real tournament organizer. There's a, there's a you know, the Point Hammered guys, the Raj is really kind of the T.O., mm-hmm. but he also is playing in it, and everybody yep. else takes on a role, or a bunch of people have the options to take on a role to help out with the running, organizing, getting things going for the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so my role was going to be is a, the building bandit, which is basically I get to paint one of the GW plastic building kits to take and 
for the event that they provided for me. Yeah, and uh, my role, I think, is going to be able to yell at everybody at the tournament about not being you done don't get a po- You don't get a tournament point for that. Well, I probably don't, but that's what my role is. I, I, like I signed up for it on the website. To yell at people? Yeah, about time. It specifically says I'm the person that yells at people about making sure their games are done on time. <laughs> that would be a role, I guess. Yeah. Well, something. It, yeah, exactly. So you got some shades painted and you got... Yeah, I got some the, shades painted. Which, I, was it Witch Fate Tour you were painting? Is that right? Witch Fate Tour, yeah, is what I'm painting. Yeah. I actually talked about that on my, my strategy for painting it a little bit on the diary. Yeah. And I've got that about... I'm somewhere about the halfway point, so we'll get some pictures up of it when I get it finished. Sounds at good. At some point, I need to get a few more shades done though for Raj Podge. Cool. Beyond that, that's pretty much I think where I've finished up hobby wise. All right. Did you get any games in? I played Thursday night, my only game outside a tournament in like the last two months. <laughs> I got to play Thursday night against a new kid, and when I say kid, I mean he's an adult. <laughs> I think he's training to be a he's lawyer. He's just younger he? than you. He's just much younger than me, probably 10 years at least. Yeah. And How old was he playing? He was playing Bretts, and it was cool. I mean, we, we ranged for a game. We went down to Misty Mountain Games. We played. It was a lot of fun. And we got through about two turns. Most of it was just us chit-chatting and, and getting to know each other. And it was, I had a good time. And, and there were a lot of things that – it was really a teaching experience when we when we did focus on Warhammer. Mm-hmm. It really was a teaching experience of this is how it works and this is different. He was very familiar with 40K and Preventure Press hordes, but he wasn't real familiar with the Warhammer thing. So we wanted to, you know, the Warhammer fantasy thing. So it was a lot of questions like how does this movement phase exactly work? How does, you know, how do I, if I want to get my unit over here, how does that work? What are the penalties, or what's going to happen to me if I get flanked? That Hydra rams my unit of knights in the flank. How bad is that really going to be? You know, those kind of things were all talked about. We talked about fairly intensely, and there were a lot of big discussions about that. So it's part of the reason. In four hours, we got through two turns. It's part of the reason why. (laughs) It's because there was a lot of, like, well, you do this. This is really what's going to happen, most Mm -hmm. likely. All right. Well, how did you actually end up hooking up with this guy? He posted over on the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Uh, isn't that one of our sponsors? That is one of our show sponsors. Is that located at www.hfb.com? www.hfb.com. And you said he played down at Misty Mountain Games, right? Yes. I think that's played. one of our sponsors, too. That is one of our sponsors. Cool. And where are they located? Cottage uh, Grove right Road? on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. And they serve all your hobby needs, is that they correct? They have every hobby need, anything I ever pretty much want. I just go down there and tell whoever's working to go ahead. If it is on the shelf, go ahead and get it ordered for me. And within a week or so, it's there. I pick it up. And they have the largest gaming space in Madison, don't they? They do. All right. Well, cool. Uh, I have a game to talk about, too, as well. I have two games. Uh, but my first game was played at the Last Square, which is another one of our sponsors. They're located over on Odana Road, and they have a great selection of miniatures for everything you can imagine. I heard that you can even order stuff from them online. Yeah, and you get a 20% discount off of all GW products, so that's not too bad. And they're located at lastsquare.com, and they also have a blog, lastsquare.com blog. I actually post on there as well. So go check them out. They have a lot of things that you might want. 
Even though Paul does post on their blog, Mm -hmm. make sure you check out their site. Exactly. And check out their store. They carry more than just Warhammer. They also have started carrying Kings of War. Mm -hmm. Hordes. War Machine. Machine. And Historicals is something they've always carried. They are are really your miniatures hookup. I I remember way back in the day, if there was anything miniatures orientated you needed, Mm -hmm. you went to the square. Because that was the place. It didn't matter if you were like two hours from Madison, three hours. I knew people that came up from Chicago just to go to the square before the internet really got big and people did a lot of shopping on the internet. They would just go to, they would come up from Chicago and they would go to the last square because that was where you got all of these miniatures and accessories for your miniature hobbying that you couldn't get anywhere else. So they've been doing it as long, if not longer in this area than anybody else they're good they know their stuff they're going to tell you what you need to do whatever it is so if you have a question about like how do i how do i magnetize my bases you talk to the folks at the last square they'll tell you how to do it and how everybody's been doing it for years mm-hmm. and you'll get like this is how you do it because that's the way it, you're going to get the best results so definitely hook up with the last square all right well, so that was a big plug my first game <laughs> uh was against ben big ben uh, he brought his ogre's army like he usually does. No, Big Ben, not the Conzi with the most. Exactly. <laughs> Big Ben is about 16. Uh, and I'm bringing this new list that I wrote up. It's a Spider Rider-based list. It's kind of a fun little thing. It's not going to be the most optimized list out there, uh, but I'm kind of following Domus's instruction on Twitter, which was... I think you were doing this list long before Domus ever... It, gave you yeah, it just motivated you. But more. it motivated me to actually get it painted up to play for a tournament. And what Domus said is, if you want to be a better general, play a suboptimal army. And that's really what I'm doing. So I'm, it's kind of a new experience for me to try and figure out how an army works after I write up the list. And it does have a theme, and it does have a pretty solid way of really playing the Warhammer game that's different from every other army that I've played. Every unit is uh, either a monster or fast calf, so everything can move at least 14 inches every turn. So that's kind of fun, and I think it'll look really, really good. I've been working on this army for about three years. So basically, the list just has three Arachnoroks. It has a unit of wolf riders, a unit of spider riders, and it's got two special characters. So one of them is a little bit more shooty, and the spider riders actually ambush. Then it's got a BSB and three Orc Shamans on board. So it's got a little power battery going on when I place them around the Arachnorok on the spider at the Catchweb Spider Shrine. So they all get to channel on a 4+. So I deployed everything that deployed, which was only three deployments before my characters. My ambushers obviously didn't come in. I deployed them opposite the table from Big Ben. And at the end of turn one, everything was on his right flank, which made for a very interesting game. And like I said, it was the first time I played the list ever uh, in 8th edition. So I, I didn't win the game, but I had a lot of fun just figuring out kind of how the army list works. And it definitely put him on a back footing because he had to move everything around from the side. So that was my first game. Well, he was playing ogres too, right? He was playing ogres Which as well. ogres do have, a, I think, a little tougher time dealing with speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, mean, and certainly flyers, That's like, it's still, even with the Sky Titan cannons, that's rougher ogres to deal with because... All of a sudden, I have to, like, I'm big square blocks. I don't have, other than the cannons, I don't have tools to to really deal with those flyers. So, mm-hmm. uh, And then I actually ended up playing a second game at my house against Matthew Koopman. Uh, he came over, and he was playing my ogre list from Blood in the Sun, and I was playing my Spider Rider list again. Again, it performed 
kind of the way I wanted it to, but I'm not very experienced with the list, so I didn't really make the choices that I should have in order to make the list work and get the win out of that. But I was really satisfied to be able to have a charge on the front, the flank, and the rear of his ogre horde after turn two. If it weren't for poor rolling and poor decisions, I would have been able to hold that ogre horde up for, if not hold the game, uh, to break it as well. So I'm really excited about playing this list, and it really does stuff that no other list does that I've seen on the table in 8th edition. It's not going to be good, but it'll be fun. So that's uh, what I'll be okay. I think I think I think there's elements to that list that are going to be really good. It's there's things in it that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think there's things in it that it make because it's so much different than what anybody else sees mm-hmm. that gives you a bit of an edge. And just like I I know like last episode, I really pushed the if you play keep playing the same list, you play the same list, you get to learn the nuances and you have a, an expectation of what happens well enough that you can really catch that puts you above usually the the average player mm-hmm. because the average player probably changes up their list and they uh, a bunch and you know they're playing more for you know the average player plays Warhammer to win. I don't think the average player doesn't. There's a lot of list changing and whatnot. So just playing the same list consistently for eight, ten, twelve, fifteen games. Mm-hmm. will really help you anticipate your you what's, what's happening, and, and it does make you a better player with your list. Mm-hmm. Also, in addition to that, I did get some hobby done as well. I assembled four Avatars of War miniatures. So I have a Dark Elf Sorceress, I have a Dark Elf Dreadlord, and two Goblin Lords all assembled that I got from Invasion Kenosha. And then I also assembled 10 Amgor as well. So I've done Yay, some hobby. Amgor. Exactly. Do you arm them with bows, or do you put them with spears? Bows. Bows. I think that's uh, the way to go. I'm just getting some of those put together. So Mr. Elmer, what did you do in the hobby since, like, say, Blood in the Sun? Really haven't gotten any games in outside Invasion Kenosha, so I really can't talk about games. But hobby-wise, I've been working on my dragon and plugging away on my dragon. And uh, did a little bit of work on some of my Necrons in the meantime as well. Necrons? I don't think those exist. Uh, yeah, that, that's fantasy. not a fantasy army. What are you talking about? But mostly working on my dragon, tinkering out some paint schemes of what I want to do with that. Cool. Collecting some old school lizards. Nice. So. Pink. I think your dragon should be pink. <laughs> no, it's going to be... I think a really cool, no. sickly pink would look awesome for that Nurgle army. That's true. That would re- It would really stand out. It would be bright. Just a sickly, pink, fleshy, pink-looking color... That'd only be I think that'd be great. That'd only be <laughs> if it was a mix of Slanesh and Nurgle, and I was going for Team Herpes. Real men play with pink miniatures. Yeah, so you say, but I've yet to see one real man play with pink miniatures. I ran with pink. I, I, I ran with I pink dice them. at Core Comp. I had them. I sold them, and I now am working on them again, slowly but surely. Slowly. It's very slowly. Yes, <laughs> I, I ran but with. I, there's a lot of bunny slippers I gotta convert. Thank you very much. I ran with the pink <laughs> dice at Corecom, but that was because of the whole uh, breast cancer awareness aspect of that. But well, I'm doing what every high elf player should always do, and that's build your high elves with bunny slippers and <laughs> paint them pink. Progression on our hobby goals from last episode. I think Ben, you got yours done. Yeah, I think I did. I don't remember what it was, but I'm sure I did. Yeah, you had solidified your... You wanted to get enough shades painted and make sure you got your crossbowmen all taken care of. Yeah, I, I finished up those. And I wish I, I wish I would have been able to finish up 
I didn't get any more crossbows assembled that I, so I'm still sitting at like five new crossbows, but I, I definitely got more shades. Those are definitely done. Cool. And then part of that was I realized I needed to get that building painted for Garage Podge, so I've had to shift gears midweek, mm-hmm. get, make sure I get that done. Well, my hobby goal was to get some work done on the spiders, and uh, that didn't happen. I did play with them, though. No surprise there. Yeah, not surprised. I had the play, the gameplay though. That you know, helping that may help you refine your list and and help you focus your hobby a little bit on it. So exactly, that's that is big. Well, go ahead, and we're going to cut break here, and when we come back, we'll hit Invasion Kenosha and move on with the rest of the show. Sounds good. Excellent. Yes, yes, my precious, my precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. My Warhammer, my 40K, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic cards. You can find them all at Misty Mountain Gaming. Really? Yeah, Misty Mountain Gaming, located on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have pretty much everything you can imagine for gaming in Madison. Okay, so if I just run down to Misty, I can pick up all sorts of good stuff? Oh yeah, board games, everything. And I hear they have the largest gaming space in Madison, too. So if I need to run an event there... I could get all the space I need, huh? Oh, yeah. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. All right. Well, I think I'll jet out to Misty right about now. Sounds good. And we're back. And we're back. We're back. Yeah. There you go. He is that creepy dude. (laughs) You are. Yeah. Sorry. Don't leave him alone with your children. Or minis. Mmm, tasty, tasty children with barbecue sauce. So, we're going to move on to Invasion Kenosha before we get some complaints. Ben, <laughs> or the police show up, you had some fun going on before Invasion Kenosha, is that right? Didn't you have some friends come into town? Oh, hey. that, that part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worst segue ever. I wasn't sure what you were talking about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we had uh, Michael Jordan and Scott. <laughs> yeah, Scott. Sorry, <laughs> Scott Steinhoff. Yeah, and their who I'm always going to say and their Scott wives Jordan. came yeah. into town Friday night. They came over from Minnesota. We I got to hang out, go to dinner with them, and such the night before, which was really good. Yeah, we had really good food. It was where'd you go? The Aaron Snug. It's a little Irish bar. Which is they're a little more on the the place the look of the place and whatever is a little more on the high end, but it's really not that bad price wise. You know, you go in there for a real nice dinner like a shepherd's pie or the bangers and mash is going to cost you like twelve thirteen bucks. So it's really amazing food. Nice. That's not not bad. that we ever talk about food on the show ever. But yeah, it was it was a great environment. Had threw back a couple beers. Got him some deep fried cheese curds because that was important. <laughs> of course, and, you're in Wisconsin. Uh, Got to get cheese curds. You are very, very. Are you playing over the there Green Bay Packers like, Warriors? List what is this with cheese, cheese wound thing? tokens? And you've never had. I've cheese never curds? had cheese curds, and I've grown up in this state. What was, is wrong with you? I, I think that is physically Dude, impossible. You should, to, you should come over early, and we'll take you. I'll take you to the farmers market, and we will buy squeak, squeaky cheese curds for you tomorrow. <laughs> you will wow. fall in love and not be able to poop for a week. My goodness. I, I, as if I don't have enough problem with that with my medication as it is. Well, uh, so 
for those listeners who are not from Wisconsin, this is the closest thing you can come to a sacrilege without actually saying anything against the Packers. The only thing, yeah, the only there's only yeah, at least only two things. things. Two things worse: nope. being a Vikings fan, yes. yes, or being a Bears fan. Exactly, I make the Vikings fans worse personally, in my opinion. Yeah, but that, you're number three on that list on of ask. not having had cheese curds. Well, I've also you had a brat. Yeah, uh, of course, I've had bratwurst. Oh, what are well, you saying? Of course, of course I have cheese curds. Of course, you we have cheese curds. What the heck? I've never gone camping. I've never gone fishing. So those are excusable. Yeah. It's nearly not that big a deal. Yeah, cheese curds. Camping is only fun when you go with a big group, is my opinion. Wow. And my my dad's older, so it's just not well, logical. Anyway, why don't we uh, actually go back and talk about Invasion Kenosha? Which <laughs> yeah, we it's made probably it to probably we've I'm gotten so, off. We're, was, we're starting to wow. get like you know really off base. Yeah, that was blindsided. Happy okay. to entertain. So, ben. all right. So, yeah, it was it was a really good time. You know, I I helped uh, point out the hotel for them when they came in, and they left the wives in town Saturday morning to go shop mm-hmm. while they rode with me over to Kenosha, which is uh, about an hour and a half or so from Madison. Didn't you have a passenger on that ride as well? We had another app. So I had Jordal and Scott, and then I had Mr. Elmer as well. We we're all loaded in the car, barely got all our minis in the car. And- <laughs> Yeah. You know, people had to carry some stuff on the lap. And that's because I have, I mean, I have a nice little four-door, you know, the Ford Fusion, but it's a hybrid, so I've got the batteries. You can't, like, you know, the trunk space is reduced and whatever. So it mm-hmm. really does make a difference when you're going someplace. Sure, yeah, the gas was like nothing, but, you know, I didn't burn a lot of gas for a two-hour drive there and to, to there and then two hours back, but, mm-hmm. well, an hour and a half anyways. But, yeah, trying to get four four dudes plus their armies in the car was a little rough and, and this is without, like, luggage to, for clothes for extra nights, right? Yeah, we, <laughs> so yeah anybody... I certainly couldn't take four people plus their luggage plus their armies plus their whatever for a two-day tournament in my car. It just ain't going to work. All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, so Jordal had his army in his lap. I was holding the hell can. Of course, <laughs> yeah, it didn't help that I don't think those guys packed their stuff in a way necessarily that – got their armies into is you know a reduced space either ah. you know and jordal's display board is like this huge giant thing for his for his lizard men too you Which know multi-layered gorgeous. it looks yeah. really cool when yeah. everything's put out and stuff but yeah <laughs> so did you say you were holding the hell cannon in your lap yeah that's the worst pickup line i've ever heard but um <laughs> anyway so uh, the tournament itself was held in salem wisconsin it's called invasion kenosha but it was actually in Salem, Wisconsin. It's That's close Salem enough Town to Hall. to call it. In you could Kenosha. spit into Illinois from Salem. I don't know that you could do that. You might have to throw a baseball, not spit. All right. Well, it's close. It's still in Wisconsin, so that's all it counts. Through some magic mystery of the fates, both of our cars arrived at the same time. So I arrived at Invasion Kenosha as well as Mr. Elmer, Mr. Jordal, Mr. Seinhoff, and Mr. Cohn. So that was kind of fun. Well. For me. Yeah, seeing <clears throat> seeing Paul's face right away when I first got there wasn't so much fun. It was a little throw up in the mouth, but hey. So we walked into the tournament hall. Everything is all set up. Absolutely great terrain as per usual for Yeah, Invasion very, very Kenosha. good. Very big plus on the terrain. I really did look. The look of every game was great. Mm-hmm. The tables all looked really good. The terrain was really good. Yep. And he had, I'm very happy for that. Oh, he yeah. had donuts and all kinds of stuff set out, coffee. You get you soda. get fed through this whole thing. Yeah. Good it's, Lord, it's yeah. Cool the setup. food, uh, the, you know, the amazing amount of food. I don't know how he, like, breaks even on this event at all because there's just crazy. Like, you get your full, like, donuts and everything for breakfast mm-hmm. plus your coffee or whatever you want plus all the soda he's got sitting there. 
Then a full party sub for lunch. Yep. I mean, you and get then breakfast, he went, turned lunch, around and, and ordered pizza and gave people pizza for dinner. Yeah, plus swag bags. It's just it's yeah, ridiculous. Plus, yeah, plus a swag bag. That's, well, the swag bag and stuff like that, he gets – I got to give John a lot of credit. He does an amazing amount of effort getting sponsorship mm-hmm. for Invasion Kenosha where people are sending him all this stuff. So, I mean, he's got a great relationship with Avatars of War. He's got a great relationship with a couple other vendors. Uh, Rockheads. And so, like, yeah. yeah. So, he gets, uh, you know, I think all the prize support comes from, really comes from his sponsors. Yep. And so, at least, I mean, that for that part, it's not coming out of his pocket. Mm-hmm. But think, just in yeah. food expense, I would think he's burning out almost all the money he's getting from the tournament, let alone trophies and... Mm-hmm. So materials for stuff. So I think what some I'm of the raffle is, stuff is probably also venue from the, space. Yeah. I don't know what that. I'm sure they. I'm sure that venue space is cheap or something. But yeah. So what I'm hearing is it's a good time. Yeah, if you yeah, can make really it, it's you're, It's going to be worth your money. So I'm just going to go ahead and show one little thing about this tournament that really separates it from every other tournament that we go to in the Midwest. John does what he calls a pod system. So basically, the way it works is. The armies are split up into three separate pods. These pods only play each other. The the players are split up into three separate pods. Correct. I apologize. The players are split up into three separate pods. These pods, you only play against other players in the pod. And the reason that he does this is because he has a preset scenario for each game. However, those preset scenarios are set up on different tables. So he'll have an entire row of Mm -hmm. tables set up. For one of them was a river scenario, and then the center set tower. of tables was set up for a tower scenario, and then the third set of scenarios was set up with the diagonal uh, deployment, the diagonal deployment, two swamps, and then a Cambrian quicksand in the middle. So it makes it easy, so you don't have to constantly change yeah. the terrain. So each round, you're on one of those three sets of tables with your pod, and then you just move sets of tables in between rounds. Everybody plays on all three tables, plays all three scenarios. Yeah, that works out really well because then you can ensure pretty much that everybody's playing on even terrain. The table shouldn't make a that much of a difference. You know, like, oh, hey, I was shafted because I drew table nine that had the Haunted Mansion on it. And if I would have drawn table eight, I would have had a more open battlefield that had a, a couple giant hills and a rock outcropping. Mm-hmm. So you don't have – you get that element. I think that I, from balance-wise, that's certainly – yeah, sure, I might get a matchup that didn't favor me this round because I was on table X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. But all the tables were fairly even in that entire row of tables for terrain and what terrain it was and where the terrain was placed. Exactly. And I think part of it was also so, like, if Ben and I travel together, we're less likely to play against each well, other. Well, it would just, you know, people that... Mm-hmm. It's not impossible because if you bring four people, there's three pods. Right. If you brought four people from your local gaming club, obviously mm-hmm. somebody's going to be plopped in the same you pod. Know, yeah. Some pod's going to have two of you. But yeah, your traveling partners were put in different pods. Yeah. And so you'd look at when you got when you set up, you could look at your pod, and that was who you were potentially playing against all day. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what was going on for the rest of the tournament. It's like a separate little mini tournament. And there was so there's really three separate mini tournaments with a prize for the first person in each pod, and and then then overall overall for the whole thing. Correct. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and start off with my first game. I was bringing my ogres. My list was 13 ogres. I had a tyrant kitted out uh, with a decent amount of 
magic armor, ward save, all that kind of stuff. A BSB with a dragon hide banner. I had a hunter on an Arabian carpet, and then I had a unit of three Morn Fang and a dark emissary. I will note that I was not at all prepared for this tournament. I think having it be less than three weeks after Blood in the Sun, I just I was forgetting stuff left and right and started off with my army list. I didn't have it added up correctly. I usually do it by hand, so as a result of this tournament, I've actually got Army Builder now to do the rest of my army list. But it does play into my first game because I had actually written Saber Tusk on top of my unit entry for Mornfang. I looked in my box and I said, well, I don't have Saber Tusks, so I guess I can't play with that unit. So I didn't put that unit on the board. So I just ended up with the 13 Ogre Horde, BSB Tyrant, and the Hunter on the Flying Carpet. And my first game was against Harrison Witek, otherwise known as the Phoenix Prince. He was playing High Elves. He had a block of Swordmasters, a block of White Lions, a block of Spearmen, a small block of Bowmen, a level 2, a level 4, and two Eagles. What was the scenario you were playing? The scenario was the Kemrian Quicksand with the two, I, uh, not Marshes, I apologize, Lava Fields on the other side. So with my big Ogre Horde, what Harrison chose to do, which was a very good tactic, was the Kemrian Quicksand meant that I had to take Dangerous Terrain Test because I was a monster. And if I failed a Dangerous Terrain Test... Only because I was monstrous infantry, my model was taken away. Period. No yeah, it was saves, better to go nothing. through the lava field than it was for you than it was to yeah. go through the Cameron quicksand. Exactly. So Harrison set it up so that he gave me a charge right away um, with his spearmen, and then I would overrun into his swordmasters. But in order to finish the overrun and maximize the unit, I'd be pulled into that Cameron quicksand. And so I did charge into the spearmen, broke them, and then overran into the Swordmasters, lost two ogres on the overrun to the Dangerous Terrain, and then he charged me with the White Lions, and I ended up breaking the Swordmen, Swordmasters, there but White the White Lions, lions held. Were, oh, okay, so there was White Lions and Swordmasters. Yeah, the White Lions were on the flank, and the Swordmasters were on the front. Gotcha. So then when the Swordmasters broke, I had to reform, which it took me like 20 seconds of like, do I really want to do this? I don't want to have to do the Dangerous Terrain test, but I ended up reforming I lost another two ogres. My hunter went over and took out his level two and level four, so that worked out pretty well. And then once the white lions broke, then he charged me with the eagles, and I ended up breaking them, but then had to reform again to get out, and I ended up killing my general and another two ogres on the Cameron quicksand. So I ended up with only five or six ogres left and ended up charging his archer unit, and my hunter came over and finished off the game. So... The game itself worked well for me. Uh, Harrison had a very good strategy. It just didn't end up that he ended up being able to cause any tests with my unit. So my leadership and my BSB being killed didn't end up affecting me that much. But I have to say, the, the lasting memory from that game was Harrison the White Tech, if you haven't listened to Garage Hammer, I, I don't know if he's 13 or 14, but... I thought he said he was 11. All right, so he's 11. This is even more impressive than He's a kid. He got thrashed by my army. And I have to tell you, I've never seen somebody be as good of a sportsman, especially being 11 years old. I was really, really impressed. He just kept making a conscious effort, and I could see it on his face, of I'm going to be nice, I'm going to be a good sportsman, and I'm really going to have a good time with this game. And my lasting impression was just, wow. I, I really enjoyed the game. And to have that strength of character for somebody who was 11 years old, I was really impressed. All right, Robert, well, how did your first game go? I challenged David Whitek simply because I had never played him before and I thought it would be fun. And he was playing his vampire counts of 
remember you had one or two units of zombies, a unit of skeletons, a unit of two bats, a unit of hex rays, uh, one spirit host base, I want to say, maybe, and of Argolf. The now famous zombies, too, I should yeah. say. He's, those things are, are getting some fame of their own. For yep. The robot never finishing The robot zombies. zombies. I, I actually kidded him a little about that. I'm like, yeah, we're going to keep hearing about you painting on those zombies like six months from now. He's like, oh, no, they're going to be finished. 200. We'll see. 200. And then it's going to be 300. When it's well, it's not the quantity. Time. It's every time he, every time you, now it's the same quantity. It's that he's going He's to like, I got to do another layer of highlights. I got to do this next little thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, at some point, you just got to admit, it's not a finished, it's never going to be a finished project. <laughs> You're always going to find that you want to put another layer of highlights on stuff. Yeah. And admit that you're going to keep doing it for the next six months, but Dave reassured me mm-hmm. that it will be finished in the next month or two and that he will no longer be painting on those, so we'll see. What allowed him to ultimately win the game was because he was able to delay my warrior blocks from getting to him. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actual gameplay, before we count objectives or anything, we were like 60-some points apart. Mm-hmm. So he was just hit pretty much and evened out, although he was able to get the objectives. All right. Now it's on the river scenario, but it was yeah. The, was the river scenario? What river was the objective scenario, in that round? Uh, the objective was to claim the two objective points oh, in the yes. center of the board. Right. So. I, I guess I didn't remember that one because we'll get to that. <laughs> and I, I think I'd moved forward from one so I could try to get to him, but I just slowed down because he kept raising those. Little zombie bunkers. Well, speed zombie bumps. speed bumps. And yeah, we, we even you joked. suggested he should paint them yellow and black. No, we suggested little yellow speed bumps. I actually did, and he thought that was a great idea. So he might even put speed bumps on the ones he raises, uses for raising. I, I don't think I support that idea, but anyway, <laughs> it was a great game. Mm-hmm. Had an absolute blast. If you get the chance to play, David, do so. You'll you'll have a good time. All right. Ben, your first game. All right, I played against. You know, all this time listening to you guys, I should have just had the list sitting here in front of me, but I didn't. <laughs> well, I at least I at least have everybody's list here. Okay, so I played against a gent by the name of John. John was playing Kemri. All right. I was playing my Dark Elves, and I know I kind of talked about my list before, but it ended up changing a whole bunch before I actually got to the event. Like partially my- because <laughs> I couldn't find the writer for my mana core. Fail. Funny me, I couldn't find a model. I don't know. I mean, my yeah, organization you, is top notch. You're always able to find every model, like that Gyrocopter. I'm pretty sure I know where it is. <laughs> yeah, what dimension? <laughs> you said that the first time I asked. You. I am ninety percent sure I know right where it is right now. All right, Michigan. <laughs> nope. I rent a storage locker, and in the storage locker, I have a rollaway full of miniatures and bits and stuff, and I'm ninety percent sure it's in that rollaway. All right. So we're gonna game. find out in like two months when I go to get go into the storage locker, <laughs> locker that it's not there. Well, it's probably be two or three months before I go to the storage locker again. <laughs> but anyway, back to the game. My list: I took a Dreadlord on a cold one, gave him the Crown of Command, Sword of Might, and, pendant, and the Pendant. Mm-hmm. So he's basically the unkillable Dreadlord. Yes. On a cold one, the one-up armor save, inverse ward. Yep. I almost gave him. The whatever the heavy armor and four up ward save, mm-hmm. just to ensure that when you were swinging at me with low strength, I'd still get a ward save. <laughs> but I didn't. That's called cheesy. 
Then I had a battle standard bearer on foot with the Crimson Death and the Armor of Darkness. Yep. So one-up armor save on him. I took a level two sorceress with a Tomopherian and the Dragonbane gem, which the Dragonbane gem never came into play. But I had a few extra. I had the few extra points at the end of the list, creating it to. <laughs> I just took it. But the Tomopherian was big because that gave me an extra spell. And I took this wizard, Lore Shadow. In hindsight, you know, I was putting this together, this list together at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. That's pretty Friday cool. night before the tournament. This is like a theme with you. Like the last two days before the tournament, I'm going to change, slash, well, rewrite my list. Slash, Blood in the Sun. Blood in the Sun was before the deadline. I still had like a month or whatever <laughs> after the deadline. To... So two days before the list is due. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much two days before the list was due. In this case, the night before the tournament. I'm going to throw them off. They're expecting me to build this list. And in hindsight, I remember, though, in playtesting now, as I think back, the year before at Invasion, I had did some playtesting going into the event and realized that Shadow wasn't that good for me on my level two. Yeah. Or on my main wizard, or my my three spell wizard. I think last year I had a level three and a level two in my list. Mm-hmm. This year I just had the level, just a level two with three spells. And I realized last year that the shadow, you know, going into playtesting, the shadow wasn't as good on my level three because I wasn't getting enough of the spells I needed. Mm-hmm. So I, I last year I took death on my level three, which was much better because I could do stuff all the time with my wizard. Yeah, didn't work out the same this year. Mm-hmm. It really did all. All, every round, I just didn't have. I think I, I had spells I wanted in a lot mm-hmm. of rounds, but I just couldn't do anything. Do anything real big most of the time mm-hmm. with my magic phase. Now, I mean, there was one game. I mean, one game out of three, the magic phase changed it. But that's besides the point. Then I had twenty six repeater crossbowmen with a banner and muso in the in the unit. This was basically the only unit that really had a, a banner in it, which is bad for the objective round that robert played in first round Mm -hmm. where you had the two objective points you needed to have banners to capture those in your units to capture those well guess what i had a unit with Mm -hmm. a banner and it was a shooty unit not very good there (laughs) i took a unit of five dark riders i know nobody takes those ever but i took them Mm -hmm. this is you know partially in that this is supposed to be about having fun event so i took Mm -hmm. five dark riders I gave him repeater crossbows, mm-hmm. five harpies, five cold one knights with a banner and champion. I gave them then the banner of murder. I really had settled on in the initial list design and giving him the ASF banner instead of the armor piercing banner. Yeah. But somehow swapping around points, I ended up giving them the armor piercing banner because I needed to make points. Mm-hmm. And I think I forgot to swap them back to the ASF banner and didn't realize it. Ah. I really, when I looked at my list, I'm like, oh, man, I really wish I had the ASF banner. Mm-hmm. And I think for the unit, it would have made me a little more confident with them if I would have had that there. Yeah. I then painted up, I, oh, yeah, my hobby goal, I was one of the things I was working on was getting my Cold One Chariot done. Just, I swapped out with the older cold, the, the old metal Cold Ones from, like, 4th, 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Probably 5th edition, actually. I'm sure... They were went further back than that, but they were they're like the current plastic cold ones in in pose. So 
I had, I thought they would work well. I've got a few of them, so I thought they'd look, work well on the colon tree. And I just finished painting that up, so I had to include that. And I really liked the way it turned out. Yeah. And then I included five shades because I really like the way my shades have turned out that I've painted recently. And finally, a Hydra because that's just kind of obligatory. So that was my list. So your game? My game was against... This was on the tower table, the, the table where you had the tower. I got to say, this the table, with the way the terrain was, it, be, it was basically an anti-horde table because there was mm-hmm. no room to, to get, get a, really get a horde down. through. With There was like these giant mounds of effectively impassable terrain. Mm-hmm. They all looked great. And then we had this giant building in the center of the table. Yep. But it was really hard. And he was playing a ver- to get anything through there. And all my units were small, small, fast, and fairly hitty. Mm-hmm. His units were slow and not so hitty. And he had like he had a Hierotitan. He had a Casket of Souls. Yep. He had the whatever the Colossus. I guess it wasn't the higher. Maybe it wasn't the higher Titan. No, it's an. I know he had the bone. The bone giant the with giant the, the with the bow. Correct. And then he had the. The War Sphinx. That's right. it. That's what it's called. Sounds good. You know, monstrous. You know, those things bothered me a bit because if they get into my my smaller units, they're they're, they're going to kill me apart. pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So we say, we yeah. basically deployed in opposite corners of the table, <laughs> and I had more speed. Now I did get caught a little bit off guard because I didn't know what the those the stalkers do, oh. and he popped them. <laughs> I knew they were going to come up later but i didn't realize quite what they were doing so i was you know until he, they came up i was like oh, i'm I'm just gonna be really confident with like my hydra and my cold one nights because the dreadlord was in with the cold one nights and i wasn't real worried about them so i pushed them forward and kept everything else really back and tight to the table edge so he couldn't get behind me mm-hmm. worst he could do is bring him up and put him on the flank little did i realize that he basically popped them up behind my hydra yep shot at it and just (laughs) took it off the table now i will say he left it so that their rear was then available to be charged with my dark riders yeah dark riders charged them Mm -hmm. took them off the table yeah but i didn't realize that that shooting effect was that lethal to the hydra oh yeah and against low initiative stuff. i mean i don't tomb kings isn't something i play against normally Mm -hmm. so but at the end of the day i ended up we ended up being, a, because we were basically, the way we were positioned, I then, on like turn five, finagled things between, he realized he couldn't move his horde through, I stopped the spell, his movement spell from going off, mm-hmm. he couldn't get in the tower at all, so I picked up the major objective for the tower, but I lost the game technically on victory points, mm-hmm. and this is important because the matchups later in the event... Mm-hmm. were based on your win-loss record effectively and what your points were off your win-losses yes. rather than your total battle score or battle points with objectives. Yes. With the, the end of the game, I ended up having a 12-point game. I won, I was a smack-dab draw, but I was on the losing end of battle points. Mm-hmm. So it was you know 6-6 six, six battle points there for the game, but I had to mark the X in the loss column. I said that three times now, haven't I? And then I got the objective for the extra six points. Mm-hmm. So I had a 12-point game for my round one. Yeah, I think my end result was eight to four because, of course, I didn't have a Saber Tusk in my list. I had three Mornfang, 
And when I realized that after the end of the game, I, I walked up to the tournament organizer and I said, I apologize, I didn't place these on the table. I think it's only fair that I forfeit the points to Harrison. And, and uh, John said, yeah, he completely agrees. So I ended up losing my unit of three Mornfang, my general, and my BSB. Uh, and I had my hunter left and my unit of ogres, but he didn't have anything else left. As far as the objective was concerned, he had taken out 66% of my banners because I forgot to put the Mornfang on. And he killed my BSB, but he wasn't able to get that last one. And I was able to get 100% of his. So I ended up getting the six points for the objective. So that was a 14-4 for me. Robert, how did your points turn out? Um, it was 6-6 six, six on just the battle points because, as I said, we were like 60 points apart mm -hmm. in, his, in his favor. And I think he got most or all of the objectives. So I can't remember what the total would have been. Moving into round two then, Paul, who did you uh, play? Well, I ended up playing against Jordan Steinhoff, also known as Jordan Scott on our forums. He was playing VC. I don't remember everything about his list, but he had three units of five dire rolls. He had a level one vampire in a unit of 25 skeletons. He had a level one necromancer in a unit of 10 skeletons. Another block of 10 skeletons. He had the terrorgeist, the big bat thing that screams at you, and a unit of 10 hex rays. Tell you, I was scared of those hex rays <laughs> and the terrorgeist. So I deployed my ogres directly across from his 24 block. I deployed my Mornfang directly across. Which board from his, is this? Uh, this was the river board. Okay. I deployed the Mornfang directly across from his unit of 10, and then my hunter was on the left flank. So I just kind of moved everything up. He moved his hex rates over to kill my hunter, and somehow with eight strength five attacks managed to not kill him. But <laughs> so he survived, uh, and then... I moved up stuff, but I didn't charge. He moved up his direwolves. I ended up charging and then overrun, overrunning into both the 10 unit of skeletons and the 25 unit of skeletons. And the terrorgeist was screaming at me, but it didn't do too much damage. And the hex race moved out of charge range or march range of the general. So they were kind of stranded for the rest of the game. So the bulls went into his big block of 25, killed the vampire after the necromancer was dead, and everything rolled crumble. Mm -hmm. He rolled relatively low for everything, except for the Terrorgeist, which he rolled 12. Oh. And at that point, he just extended his arm across the table and said, good game. <laughs> There's yeah. no way I can recover from that. Especially so, since he'd keep crumbling. Exactly. So I ended up getting a 12-0 and both objective points. That was 20 points for me, plus the, the smaller objectives. So. Yeah, I think that was huge. That, that's really huge, too, because I don't think almost anybody got completely tabled the yeah. entire event so that's for battle points that's mm -hmm. huge especially in an event this size yeah i do like the, i didn't mind he, he didn't use the 20 ot system yes it was a reduced version of it and mm -hmm. i think that worked better yeah it was a 12 nothing instead i like of a 20 it. nothing yeah yeah for three games i think that really worked mm -hmm. out much better makes yeah. it tighter yeah, and, and, so, and we know about my opinion about 20-aught when it's in a small event. Yeah. Like Blood in the Sun, 20-aught was great. Mm -hmm. It works very much. It's very important to have it. But in a small event where there's sub-30 players, 20-aught means, I mean, if you get odded, that's like that, that game just wrecked your tournament. You're just completely out of anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe you can, best you can hope for is an appearance or a sport. So. Yeah, and, and having the objective where six points in each round helped to mitigate that as well to a decent extent. So, uh, yeah, it, it just ended up being that Jordan didn't roll very well, <laughs> and I ended up rolling yeah, really well with my ogres. Yeah, as there was usual, a, so. not just I maybe rolled very well, but there was a maybe a couple of little mistakes that, that played into it, too. Mm -hmm. 
But it was a very good game, and I definitely enjoyed playing against somebody I'd never played against. That was the second person I'd never played against at the tournament. My second game, I should probably mention what that was in my list before I continue. <laughs> I had two units of Chaos Warriors, Nurgle, Halberd, Shields, 18 strong each after you put a character in each one, full command. Three units of dogs, if I remember right. War Shrine, Nurgle, and then the Hell Cannon. Level 2 Sorcerer and a BSB. My opponent that round was playing Ogres. I'm blanking on the name because I'm terrible Greg. with it. Greg, and uh, he had you know, three Morn Fang, an Iron Gut, big Iron Guts block, a Slaughtermaster, a BSB, a u- small unit of bowls. He had a one of those crazy monsters. The Gorger? No, no, it was from not from the Ogre list. It was the one that could snipe out. Oh, a cockatrice? cockatrice. Yes, cockatrice. Yeah. And there might have been one thing. Fracking cockatrice. He had like a hunter with the creatures or something, I think. Maybe. His list was gorgeous. The paint on that he, army was beautiful. He, made, he had a good-looking army. What really hurt him, or helped me, I should say, was turn one, my War Shrine boosts unit of Chaos Warriors that are frenzied with their halberds, and they get plus one strength against ogres. Yeah, that's not good. And so he had moved up his Iron Guts in the building. I charge, mm-hmm. and with Strength 6 Frenzied Warriors, yeah. they just make mincemeat. It took a couple of times to do it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. He even tried buying time by throwing the cockatrice against them when they were sitting outside the building, but that didn't... I think I killed it in the first turn. Yeah. So, I mean, there wasn't... When he got Strength 6 Warriors running around, and then when he tried to get his Mornfane in... I moved up my uh, shrine to basically protect the flank, so mm-hmm. he's hitting the shrine instead because at that point I can sacrifice the shrine. I got a power I want. Yeah. So he ties into the shrine. My sorcerer falls up, and I've been trying, not the leper spell, cloying quagmire, trying to get those mornfang, but he kept blocking it because I never got it irresistible. But finally I cast Rot, Glorious Rot. And if you're familiar with that spell, it affects all units within a certain range. D6, D- strength D6, no armor. Well, when I hit the Mornfane, I roll like 6 strength 5 or 6 or something. Mm-hmm. And when you're not allowing armor save on top of it, two Mornfane die right there. Yeah. And then they're nowhere near what they were. Exactly. It's harder to be a threat when you only have a couple of those left. In the end, he only got one point. I got the building, mm-hmm. and I... Got 11 points plus the building. Hell Cannon decided to be funny that game. It bolted across the table into his deployment zone, but last turn it bolted towards the building again, but it was just within the deployment zone still. <laughs> so I got that point. Nice. And it was just like, okay, the Hell Cannon is having a nervous breakdown, but mm-hmm. other than that... It's working well. Exactly. And All right. So, uh, Ben, you had your second game. Who was that against? My second game was against Joel Musero, who is my last game opponent at Blood in the Sun. Nice. And it was against it was basically the rematch of his Dwarves versus my Dark Elves. Now, this really was the rematch <laughs> of his Dwarf list was much better than my Dark Elf list was. My Dark Elf list, at this point, I realized I wasn't that how good. The story goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you say that right before it you wasn't that good. The list itself wasn't that good. However, this game turned in one magic phase. <laughs> I mean, I basically was in a position. My chariot went stupid, so I I did the I ran my dreadlord over in front of his hammer unit, mm-hmm. and then I ran 
my harpies over there with the intention to flee with the harpies, maybe flee with the dreadlord, and watch him fail his charge. So then I'm like, well, I hope I get a miasma. And I put him at a, you know, just far enough out in front of the chariot so that, you know, then he wouldn't be able to then redirect into the chariot. You know, right. just doing that get in the way stuff. And I know I had the, the unkillable dreadlord, but strength six hammers, I wasn't going to take the risk of, One or you two know, goes. taking some damage and losing my dreadlord this early in the game. It was like turn three at this point. That was a lot of rounds of combat to take a lot of wounds that I may not, I have a chance of not saving. But that gets to my magic phase in this turn. I drop miasma on the unit first. And I just do it. I small miasma to drop their movement. Mm-hmm. Goes through. I also had Pit of Shades and the minus D3 toughness spell. Yep. Withering. So then I go ahead and I drop a pit. Did I drop a pit next? Yeah, I think I dropped a pit. No, I think I got the withering second. Okay. And so I got the debuff on the toughness, and I dropped them by three toughness. So they're now toughness Oof. one. Finally, and he saved all his dice because I've got pit of shades still. Yeah. And I dropped pit, irresistible. <laughs> I only think I threw four dice on it, so I didn't throw a lot of dice on it. Wow. And I did the small version of pit, rolled a hit, so it lands dead on the unit. 21, I hit like 21 dwarfs or whatever you hit, whatever you can hit with a template. Mm-hmm. I kill like 14 dwarfs off initiative test from Pit. Yep. I turn around then, since it's tough one Dwarf. guys, I've got shades in shooting range. I've got 26 repeater crossbowmen within <laughs> shooting range. They haven't, none, neither unit moved. So then I just unload a heap of shots into the unit. I take off all, with the, I start with the, with the 26 because I don't want to waste their shots. <laughs> <laughs> I take off the ham- the rest of the hammers with the 26 repeater crossbowmen. I mean, that's like, whatever, 40, 52 point shots, you know, hitting on fives. It was long range and double shots, so hitting on fives, wounding on twos, take off the rest of the hammers. Yep. He's got his two characters there. I then take the shades, shoot the shades into the two characters. I don't get, I don't think I got a wound on the BSB, but I got him, I, I took off his, his runesmith general then with that shot, mm-hmm. and left him with just the BSB standing there in front of my dreadlord. <laughs> I had a unit here. Well, see, the funny thing was, I walked over to the table at the point at which his opponent says, that means out of my 28 hammers, I have my general and my BSB le- left. And I looked at Ben and I'm like, what the hell did you do? Nothing is in combat with that unit. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was roughly what my list was designed to do, and it, <laughs> it did, did it far better than I thought it could in one turn. I mean, there was, yeah, 28 hammers or whatever it was still left. I mean, I shot at it earlier in the round because it did start out a little bit bigger, but I and I did feel kind of bad. I'm like, here, Joel. I, mean, I looked at my dice. I rolled exceptionally well, too, and I'm like, Joel, I feel really bad about this. Here's some more. Here's I took the dice literally out of the pile of dice that I had just rolled. Not normally like my opponents. Like I feel bad, or my or give we give dice to our opponents every time we play them, and we just give them a couple dice fresh out of the bag. <laughs> this game, I'm like I took them right out of the pile of dice, the pool of <laughs> dice I rolled. I'm like, here, Joel, you just have some more. I feel bad about this. <laughs> I felt bad about the situation, but it. It really was what my list was designed to do, and it wouldn't have taken. I didn't need. I did have an exceptional role on the shooting role, but I didn't need an exceptional role to probably accomplish what it accomplished. Yeah, 
I mean, when I took, I mean, it was twenty-eight dwarf slayer, and I took fourteen of her, fourteen of them off from the pit mm-hmm. by itself. And then you get all those. Then I have twenty-six shot or fifty-two shots, oh, God. hitting on fives, wounding on twos. I probably didn't need like the. There must have been. I must have had like twenty, twenty-five wounds out of that. So, so I mean, when I say it was a good roll, it was a really good roll. So, how many points did you get at the end of the game for that? I actually didn't get max points because at the end of the game, you still had a huge, another huge dwarf block, mm-hmm. and. I guess I probably could have pushed it and tried to take that dwarf lock off as well. Yeah. But instead, I just kind of turned my crossbowman around as he's got close to me and walked away. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the crossbowman so ran away. <laughs> oh, I'm going to walk up. I'm going to kill your, your sworn, you know, brothers in arms and the hammers and the general. And, the general. and then, and then the BSP, walk away. His BSP did move. charge we're, my dreadlock. We're happy. <laughs> we spilled the right blood. Oh, okay. My BSB did his BSB did charge my dreadlord, and my dreadlord smacked him in the face and killed him too. <laughs> I'm and sorry. And then that leftover unit of dwarves with great weapons. Overtime. I mean, it was I couldn't take him on with my cross with either of the unit that was in position at the mm-hmm. last two turns of the game. I couldn't take him on. Did you let those? So warriors... I just walked. I took the better part of valor and said, "Hey, let's just end this." And I walked my units away from it. Right. Uh, you were really just letting those warriors go home and tell their families of this horrifying dark elf menace on the frontier and bring <laughs> terror into their homes. <laughs> There's always got to be one unit to go home yeah, and we tell gotta, the we got to let somebody spread the story. <laughs> so, I mean, and I did lose, like, the Hydra. I lost turn one cannon. <laughs> you know, I did lose quite a bit of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a huge win, but it was a, it was a good win. I ended up... I think I scored the max. I know I didn't score the max twelve, but I think by the time I got done with the battle points and whatever, it somehow ended up being like seventeen or eighteen points nice. for me. Sounds like round. So you probably got to get it in deployment zone. You probably got both the yeah. I definitely. I mean, it was impossible to stop me from getting into your deployment zone because I had the harpies, I had the dark riders. I mean, I had the shades. I mean, I had all this stuff that's like super fast and whatever. It was just impossible. To yep. keep me out of the deployment zone, especially it, if you're playing dwarves. And when you had killed his general, you got another point for that because yeah. your general was still alive. So, so I, had the, I had eight bonus points plus whatever. It sounds, ended up being pretty close to an eight. So I think I had like 18. Nine, nine or three. Then. Sounds oh. like round two is good for all of us. Yeah, round three went really well for me. Round two, I'm sorry. Went really well for me. Moving on to round three. So Ben, why don't we start with your game, round three? His I really face just I, fell. I, I, I do not accept or acknowledge yes. that this round three ever happened. All right. <laughs> why, why not? What was the horribleness that happened? Okay, I looked at my pod to begin with. My pod was tough. I mean, I had Chris Yu in my pod, and even though his list was all night goblins, he, I mean, he had two Doom Divers. Mm-hmm. I think he had a Rock Lava. I'm pretty sure he had a Rock Lava. And, like, a couple Bolt, at least one Spear Chaka, which the Spear Chaka is like, yeah, but the rest of that stuff, I mean, two Doom Divers mm-hmm. is rough. A rock level is rough. He had a big unit of shooty bow goblins. You know, it, it was going to be. I mean, that was a that was one of those lists you looked at and like that's really tough. So you there played was, uh, Chris Jake, U then, then? Jake's no. Jake's Bretts. They were like you know really tough. You know, Jake's a really good player. He usually runs top of the pack in every event he goes in goes to. Mm-hmm. Okay, his blood in the sun wasn't that good, but otherwise, it, you know, he's usually right up in the you know top part. I mean, Mayhem mm-hmm. he was really good, really strong couple other guys that were really strong that I had played against in my pod. The one matchup I looked at of all the lists and I knew all day long I did not want to play against this. Mm-hmm. One, it's because I'm, I just don't have it quite figured out how to fight against this army. Yeah. Just that army. I just 
seem to every time I play against that army matchup, doesn't matter what I'm playing, I have a hard time against it. But on top of it, his list mm-hmm. was like the best possible. He had everything would work out perfectly awesome for him to deal with my stuff. So you might and say, that was Michael Jordan's Lizardman. So you might say Michael Jordan was your worst nightmare. It was. <laughs> And it literally was one of the, I mean, there was, I, I had lost the game. He put less than 100 points on my left flank, would have been his right flank, mm-hmm. like a single salamander and a unit of skink. So there's like roughly, you know, 10 skinks and a salamander. I had the cold one nights, I had the harpies over there, I had dark riders over there. I had like four or 500 points on this flank, mm-hmm. maybe even more than that. I mean, probably closer to 600 points on that flank. I lose that entire flank to the salamander and the ten skinks. <laughs> and the only other thing he threw over to assist that flank mm-hmm. was one spell from the salon that did D6 strength six hits to my cold one nights. Wow. And wiped out like four of them in one spell. Wow. I mean, that that alone set this game up. Like, I mean, that's, that's how bad the matchup really really was for me because I, I really do struggle against playing this and like i said my list was i thought my list was really soft i mean i really didn't have yeah i took the unkillable dreadlord well like he can't win you games because he can't kill anything he just ties stuff up so so i'm in a position i'm like okay at least i can tie his crocs crocs up mm-hmm. and maybe i can then focus on shooting his saurus and eat back some points and maybe this won't be too bad of a loss especially going into this round I felt like I had a really good shot at winning my pod, mm-hmm. and so I was, you know, I had that extra pressure of like I'm probably not going to win the tournament, but I could win my pod, and that would get me to the podium. That would I like, you know, I'd like to win. And instead, then he gets his cockatrice, the stupid <laughs> cockatrice, who had killing blowed a total of a goblin wolf rider the entire tournament. Lines up, shoots my unkillable dreadlord with the strength to attack, the strength to attack. With the heroic killing blow or whatever it is. Yep. He rolled a Kill, six. Rolls a six to get the killing blow after hitting me. Uh-huh. And we were just, he's just laughing about it before this happens, too. It's like, oh, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. I can just see the writing on the wall. And poof, there it was. There's the killing blow on me. Okay, well, at least I got the pendant save. Mm-hmm. Right about now is where I'm going, why didn't I take the four, four plus four award? Because now it would make a difference. Yeah. So at least I got the pendant save. Mm-hmm. So I roll a two or less, I'm safe. What do I roll? I three. roll three. So it wouldn't have mattered what I would have taken. <laughs> I would have failed this save. <laughs> the dreaded journal. So, poof, there goes my dreadlord. There goes another three or four hundred, you know, 250 po- 220 points or whatever it was for the dreadlord. Mm-hmm. Kitted out the way he was. Plus 100 points for the general. At this point, all I've got left are my unit of crossbowmen. I still have the hydra on the table. Mm-hmm. I have a chariot that's kind of been playing patty cake with a unit of skinks. It's basically been tied up by a unit of skinks the entire game. Mm-hmm. Not in combat. It's been kind of like keeping them occupied, which was a complete waste and dumb, just a dumb move on my part. So I'm like, okay, well... I got things lined up. I got the Hydra into the flank of the Croxagore. Mm-hmm. I made the. Char- I mean, it was a little bit longer charge. I made the charge. Got him into the flank of the Croxagore. Like, okay, this starts all good. I got a. I got a couple wounds out of the out of the handlers. Like, okay, the Croxagore got great weapons, so I get to swing the Hydra before him. I get like 
two wounds out of the Hydra or something like that. I take a Croxgore off. I'm like, okay, that's horrible. I'm like, I have to crack my breath weapon now. Yeah. Not that I didn't need to crack it anyways, because I had to get him down to less than three models. I really needed to break this unit. Yeah. And at this point, I'm like, this breath weapon better be great. I roll six hits out of the breath weapon, I think, five or six. It was left definitely left in 50%, and I get, like, another Croxgur. Oh. So I kill two Croxgur with a Hydra char- on the Hydra turn. It charges to the Trident Flames. It's like six wounds. It's all I caught out of the thing. Mm-hmm. Can't Thunderstomp because they're monstrous, you know, monstrous right. infantry. Yep. Of course, they can't stomp back, but it doesn't matter. I get take. I mean, I, he swings at me. I, I think I managed to scoot out of this with only taking a wound. Mm-hmm. He then ends up being steadfast. His toad's standing right next to the guys. So I can't... I couldn't break him. I mean, I had to bust him to the point where he had to take a modified leadership break check. Otherwise, I wasn't going to bust him. Right. He returns the th- turns the unit so he's facing my Hydra now and starts to happily beat on my Hydra. It takes it took like three rounds of combat to finally before I I lost the Hydra. I never did break. I never did lose a round of combat. I just lost from taking damage. Yeah. Lost the Hydra. I mean, I'm like at this point, I got nothing. I've got, he's got the two salamanders on this flank. So he's got another, another unit of salamanders that are two. And these guys have been huffing and puffing on my, on my repeater crossbow this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I've down to like 12 or 13 repeater crossbow. And I'm like, I'm in charge range of the salamanders. So I'm like, I'm going to charge in there. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. You'd think that maybe that'd be good enough to fight the salamanders. I mean, no, 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 not at all. No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, I really, I don't know what I could have done differently to deal with the salamanders at all. Mm-hmm. Really, I do realize that I was just retarded in how I handled the skinks on my flanks, and that I gave them way too much credit, mm-hmm. and I should have just ignored them and taken my hits like a like a man out of them, mm-hmm. and just rammed the hydra, rammed the chariot, and rammed, you know, rammed that kind of, and rammed the the Kolo knights. Right up the gut with the uh, where the Croxagor and the Saurus were. I don't know how much that would have changed the game. Like the Toad had the I can't be hurt by your silly non magical stuff yep. uh, when the theory also yay plus the one. It, you know I'm like oh I have a guy in my list with a magical weapon so great <laughs> and I failed to get a, I I didn't have I had Mind Razor I think in this game. I had Mind Razor and maybe I had Pit. I don't remember if I had Mind Razor or Pit. I think I might have had Pit because I think I tried to pit the Slon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had Withering, which ended up being of no use at all, unlike it should have been, but it was no use at all in this game. And then I had Miasma. So, I mean, I, did, I had decent, I had really good spells as far as what you would consider what you'd want mm-hmm. on Shadow. I just couldn't do anything with it. It was horrible. Stupid cockatrice. Yeah, that was one of the two like epic stories that came out of the tournament was the cockatrice killing the unkillable <laughs> dreadlord. Yeah, uh, it was on the rather ironic. That. And then also uh, Matt Jajak was playing with his giant and he charged to the front of <laughs> one of Jake's Bretonian units and it had the Bretonian lord with killing, killing blow. blow on it. Heroic killing blow. And I was talking to Jake afterwards and he was like I got five attacks on him, and I couldn't roll a six to kill the giant. And then the giant rolled pick up and. And all he had to do was attack him and wound him. And he failed to wound him again with the killing blow <laughs> general. And the giant stuffed him down his pants. 
So I think that's literally the most ironic thing that possibly could have happened is the heroic killing blow was heroic killing blowed by a giant and stuffed in his pants. Well, that's not really hero killing blow at that point. It's just killing blow. I and mean, it's not right. even killing blow because you, you could kill a giant and get your general back. That's true. But he didn't. So moving on to your game, that, Mr. Swiss. This game was the diagonal deployment, and I know the my opponent got all of his units on, whereas a couple of mine, I think, Dogs, I almost want to, can't remember if one warrior block was off or not, but enough stuff was off that it hampered me. I know the shrine was off, mm-hmm. that it, it created a problem, and he got, I think, I can't remember who went first, but he what really helped him was early on he got really lucky, Irresistible Force, Purple Sun <laughs> on my Hell Cannon. <laughs> After my Hell Cannon first turns, like, no, I'm not going to take a turn to shoot to soften up these Tomb Kings. I'm going to hurdle forward after two leadership checks. You had an unchained Hell Cannon all tournament. Itself. Pretty much. Except for game one, where it just fought off our goal full game. Mm-hmm. I did what I could, but it was just not enough that. Because Mark and Urgle doesn't matter against Tomb Kings. Because they don't actually. Get a negative one. They don't do yeah, their weapon right. skill is always so bad on. that it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't modify their weapon skill. It's a penalty, so they just flat out ignore it anyway. They flat out ignore it. Weapon skill, not for shooting, yeah. Not ballistic skill. We're, no, I'm weapon talking about the ballistic skill. skill. He was talking about ballistic skill. Yeah, and I said weapon skill, and then he was like, no, 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 no. No, against the chariots or something, the weapon skill one did matter. I can't remember what it was. But overall, it's just, I could not do enough. His uh, casket worked very very well mm-hmm. every time it chained through and i'm like my dice are like yeah we gonna roll poor yeah so it, it really hurt i ended up losing when the few times i was able to get damage like on his uh higher titan or a couple other things he was able to heal it right back up mm-hmm. so i wasn't really able to get many points off him either all right uh do you know the points at the end of that game it wasn't like an 11-1 or anything like that for him it, it was closer but it was definitely a losing game for me. All right. Well, my third game, I played against Chris Walker. I played against him before, and he's an excellent general. And he was definitely the person in the pod that I did not want to face, <laughs> especially in the building scenario. I was I was pretty nervous. He had Lizardmen, so he had two blocks of uh, 18 or 21 stores. I apologize. I don't remember exactly. And you needed a Blowpipe Skink, so you needed a Javelin Skink, so you needed a Chameleon Skink, two level one Skink Priests, and then a five-night calf, Cold One Cav bus and an Old Blood on the Cold One. Basically, this list, the, the game came down to deployment, and I had a plus one, I rolled a two, he rolled a four, and I was just, uh, I, I was really not happy with that. Well, you say the game comes down to, to that, because the win-loss is still battle points. Correct. It's just the big points for the objective the are the The big points for the objective were the tower, so that was, I, I knew I was going to be in for an uphill battle for the rest of the game, so... The first turn, he moved his Saurus up to within one inch of the building and then shot some stuff, didn't do too much damage. I moved my Hunter into the building since he's still monstrous infantry. He assaulted it next turn, knocked him out, occupied the building. And I moved up my Horde to within one inch of the building and then just kind of assaulted for the rest of the game. Second turn, third turn, fourth turn, he had set it up, he had... Chewed through my Mornfang on the right-hand flank, and he had the Cold One Cav bus within charge range easily on my right-hand flank. He had kept the second Saurus in back so that he could switch out the Saurus units in the tower to make sure he had enough in there to survive. 
And then he had all of his skinks around me so that if I did break, I'd be taking dangerous terrain tests, etc. And I assaulted the building on the fourth turn, and he's got cold-blooded leadership eight, and he rolled triple sixes. <laughs> I ended up occupying the tower, and there really was nothing he could do to knock it out at that point. So it really came down to the fact that he rolled those triple sixes, and he played an excellent game. But uh, I ended up losing. He got the victory points, but the, the building itself was worth six points. So I ended up having one more battle point at the end of the game than he did. We ended up with the results at the end of the tournament. I ended up winning the tournament. So that was that was awesome. I, I was really happy, and I did not expect to be in that position. I, I had a great time at the tournament, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. And uh, uh, props to Chris Walker for... A good game. I really enjoyed playing against him, and he He's was a, a great player. sport. And I honestly think he had the easiest list out of the three that I was playing as well, uh, with no slon, no BSB in that list at all, which unfortunately ended up costing him. That's why the triple six ended up making him run out of the building. So, uh, yeah, I had a good time. Robert, how did you end up placing? Uh, I don't remember the exact placement because I never took a, I never took a look at it. Okay. I was I was more curious about my appearance score at that point. Yeah. And sportsmanship scores. Which John didn't post any of that. No. no he just posted the total He's, tournament score. I, so. I asked him, he said he eventually would, I think. Mm -hmm. In terms of what I walked away with, I mean, I didn't place in the rankings mm -hmm. to get an award, but between the grab bag, I actually exchanged with David Whitech because his son Harrison plays High Elves, swapped it so I could get a Witch Hunter from Avatar's War. Grab bag was nice. I've got all those little skink guys, which I'll use as chameleons. But in the raffle, I got, I threw 20 bucks in the raffle. Mm -hmm. And I got a tube of green stuff, a Avatar's of War, Vampirus, nice. the female one, which is a beautiful sculpt. I'm very yeah. happy with that. And then something vampiric-like, which I'll actually probably use, is a Corn Herald in my 40K. Nice. I ended up getting the Beastman Battalion plus the Doom Bowl and the Avatar's of War Beast Lord uh, for winning. And then in the raffle, I also ended up getting the fine cast Eldar Snipers, which I traded to Harrison as well. Mm -hmm. And he gave me two of the Avatars of War Goblin Lords. So I oh, was nice. really excited about that. Nice. Uh, ben, I think you won some stuff in the raffle too, right? Yeah, I won some assorted stuff. I don't even remember what I won exactly. I got like an Avatars of War fig. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Dark Elf Sorceress. No, I got the Sorceress in my swag bag. Yeah. Oh, I got the Wood Elf character in the. Oh, and nice. I got a Necron special character which yay necrons so no, i'm not complaining i mean it's it's always good to win stuff and, and mm -hmm. certainly i got i put my 20 dollars in the raffle i put my entrance fee i got way more stuff than i paid yeah so i mean the, at the end of the day i think the event for me i mean it, it was a uh, from a dollars wise it's it's a complete you know win. wash yeah. i think even with fuel i was a complete wash yeah. and then you throw in the food yeah exactly yeah, you throw in, plus i got food i got fed so i didn't have to pay for food mm -hmm. So I mean, that that part of the event was like amazingly great. Mm -hmm. I was just even even now coming back and talking about it, I'm really like my end my end tournament result was bottom third of the tournament. That literally that matchup and that game mm -hmm. wrecked my overall tournament score. Yeah. If I would have played I think anybody else on our table, on our pod, mm -hmm. I would have had I could have drawn the game. I drew the one matchup that just like I was done. I had lost the game, and it we weren't even in like turn two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I and I really, I mean, there's some things now looking back. I think I could have done differently, mm -hmm. but 
I don't know that I would have. I could have done it differently, but I don't know if it would have changed the result. And it's always hard to have a huge loss like that at the end of the day, especially when you're doing well enough to. It hits you possibly down. So yeah, like pot. when I'm like, I mean, yeah, am I going to chance? I'm going to win the pot. I'm just, you know, I got that extra pressure on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and maybe I don't win the pod, but I would at least I have a chance to win the pod if I because I would, you know, I I think I had the biggest win mm-hmm. in our pod. And the first round, I didn't do badly, so that had to have put me total battle points pretty close. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think I would have beat Chris Hughes' appearance score or Bryant's Hodges. Their their armies were amazing, and you can catch that pictures of those. Yeah. You can catch pictures of those on the, the Wisco Dice Gallery on the Wisco Dice site. But I really thought I was in a ch- I had a chance, mm-hmm. and that's where it didn't come. It didn't come to fruition. That game just wrecked it. All right. Well, there we go. That was our Invasion Kenosha coverage. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and get a word from our sponsors here, and when we come back, we'll go ahead and get on to the main topic of the show today. Sounds good. Hey, Ben. Yo. You live in Wisconsin, right? Last I checked. And you play Warhammer, right? I sure do. I'm getting really tired of playing you every week. How do you get a hold of other people to play Warhammer in Wisconsin? Well, I just post over on the WWHFB forums. WWHFB? What's that? What's well, the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League? Really? Yeah, there, there's, there's one in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's what they are. They are all over the place. Really? Whether so, it's Milwaukee it's... or Madison, Janesville or or Lacrosse, they're all over. They got members everywhere. They're always looking to play games, answer questions about Warhammer. Just have fun. Wow, that sounds awesome. What was that website again? It's at www.wwhfb.com. Was that wwhfb.com? Yeah, that's it. wwhfb.com. That is it. I'll have to check it out. All right, you do. All right. And we are back. And we're back. We're back. Back, 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 back. Let's everybody repeat, we're back. For like the next ten minutes, I was just quoting David Whitehead. Mm. Back, 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 back. <laughs> Shake cones, he now pounds voice. head against the wall. Yes, exactly. Maybe he's smarter now. No, no. All right, so That's we are going to, to talk to about painting for tournaments. Now, why would we want to do that? Well, I think it's kind of a given. We go to <laughs> tournaments a lot. All three of us do. I think that there is definitely a separate, not necessarily a skill set, but a separate idea of painting an army for tournament mm-hmm. than there is for painting an army for display. Or even pleasure. Or even pleasure, exactly. I completely agree. Uh, there's a certain amount of, instead of necessarily choosing what looks right to you, you really should work on doing something that looks right to the person who's never seen your army before. You've got to do something to the army to make it eye-catching, really, to get a good paint score. Do you think that's a fair statement, Robert? Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's also nice when you got the checklist to look at, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you look at Johnny Hastings' army, if, if we're talking about painting for a tournament, I don't think that there's any way we can not mention him. <laughs> He's got well, a great... Well, in our local meta, anyways. Yeah. Exactly. He's got a great color scheme on his Beastman. It's blue, white, and brown, and it's just gorgeous and very, very eye-catching. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's used blue and white to very good effect on his miniatures. And, of course, mm-hmm. everything else, everything that's painted on there is absolutely amazing. But he picked two very strong colors that have a very high contrast to each other to really be the signature colors of his color scheme. And I think that's something that really Let's, shows up a lot. Right, and he did it with an army beastman that normally is not something that's going to have something 
eye-catching color-wise, it's usually very drab. Correct. Which makes it more impressive. And obviously, there's a whole heap of technical skill involved in getting any kind of an army to that level. But I think well, what you know, there are you, things you kind of mentioned. You took the, the the blue and the white as contrasting colors, and that they were. I think he. I think when we get this. We get into the. We're picking on an example here. I think we get a. What makes what he did besides just yeah, it's the blue and the white, and it's white. What were the technical skills that you can grab mm-hmm. looking at a an army like that? that really pick it out. It's not just the fact that it's blue and white and they're really good contrasts. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he really, over the whole army, simplified the palette Yes, and focused on painting one or two colors, like two or three, well, two or three colors, exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you paint for tournament play, one of the first things you should take away from this conversation is simplify your palette with bright, contrasting colors. Correct. And work at painting those contrasting colors exceptionally well with highlights and shades. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're going to have other tidbits. You're going to have little metal bits. You're going to have whatever. But if you pick... If you keep things, I, like when I teach Army Overdrive, and we'll do that, I, I actually got to teach that for the Escalation League second second month in that starts this fall. Nice. So one of the first things you've got to be taught and you got to get people through people's skulls is you see a lot of people, especially if they're first time painting, is like, oh, I want to, I'm going to throw some black and some, you know, maybe I want some black and green and, and red on this model or whatever. No, get, stop that. Two contrasting colors and work it from there. Mm-hmm. And paint those very, very well. I think you see that one. On all the new Dark Elves I've done, it's been two contrasting colors, the purple and the dark, and that maroon red, which maybe those don't contrast, but they work really well together, mm-hmm. painted exceptionally well, as well as I can. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not as well as I can, but with a very brought-up highlights. And I think that's what, like, like Robert's, our Robert's uh, Warriors of Chaos. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you got there? You have two contrasting yellow. colors, green and yellow, that are painted very well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be painted to Johnny Hastings level Correct. to do very well for painting for tournaments. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's eye catching, that's bright. Your green and yellow. The yellow is very bright. Right. The green is actually a brighter green. Really, it's not a dark green. It's still a dark green, but it's not like a dark. It's more of a forest green than, say, right. a swamp it's green. A, it's a very lively green. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think uh, this conversation is going to have to, by nature, settle around not necessarily being the best technical painters because I don't think any of us in this room can honestly say that we are technically amazing. But I, I agree. I, I think that you don't have to be a technically good painter. I did put and, some freehand work onto the banners, though. Correct. And freehand, obviously, is another thing that's going to make a unit stand out, or even an army. Johnny Hastings freehand obviously makes his army stand out. He's painted freehand skulls right. on freehand every Freehand is one of those things that scares people mm-hmm. to do. And it's really easy to do basic freehand mm-hmm. and make it look good. Practice on a piece of paper if you have to. Well, it's that's a uh, paper doesn't work. It, it doesn't. You don't get the flow of paint mm-hmm. the same on paper though as you would on. But it gives the model. people confidence. A little more confidence. You actually, I, th- I would argue that you start learning 
bad techniques by painting on paper. Okay. Because the paper absorbs the paint so much differently, you don't get the same paint okay, flow then, off of brush. Then get a piece of sprue and maybe try some freehand work or some scrap plastic. Doing freehand, one of the first things I think you need to do is you need to be willing to paint over the top of whatever it was you started with to begin with. Because yeah. it doesn't look good. And, and to, when you're starting to do freehand... Do it with small, with with large flat surface areas, and do like, make like sure. shields. Mm-hmm. I'd stick away from even banners because banners can be tricky if they've got waves and whatever. Uh. Stick to shields like right off the bat, and make sure this is absolutely key that you thin down that paint. Yes, if you're going to be doing any kind of freehand, because freehand obviously is not something that's necessarily going to be perfect on the first try, and if you paint over that and you've got thick paint. You're going to be able to see the paint underneath the base color. Not necessarily the color, but you're going to be able to see that raised surface of right. the previous attempts at the freehand. And it will take you longer, but it'll be worth it. And it also, if you make a mistake, be easier to paint over. Exactly. I think that's a key thing about learning freehand is that the paint should be thin so that if you do make an error, it's much easier to correct. So backtracking a tiny bit, you were talking about how... You can sacrifice a bit on the other colors. If you've got two colors that, are lo- that look well, on my warriors, if you look at the halberds themselves, the shaft of the halberd mm-hmm. is actually very simple. Mm-hmm. And even the metal part is just mithril silver with the null oil wash. Yeah. And that's because when you look at your army, you don't look at the halberds. You look at the warriors themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it as well, I think, is to really choose which part of the miniature that you want to direct the viewer's eye to. Which for me is the armor and the, and the fur on the cloak. Okay, well, I guess my freehand comments are completely gone now, but okay, whatever. We can go back but to that, though. Why are they gone? Because we're on like a different topic. I wanted to talk, you were on freehanding and it just changed. So, uh, stop talking. So I've derailed us a bit. So let's go back to freehand yes. here a little bit, Ben. You had some some uh, I, it was issues. like finger in the air, and I just got ignored, and the <laughs> topic got changed. I'm all sad now. Oh. I'll, I'll get you a Kleenex oh. later. I'm going to cry. No, we got a Kleenex right here. Here we go. No, yeah, we do. That was one of the first things we got for the studio. You know, Thank you very much. Is... Usually it's Paul crying. So since you've taken us off topic, now back to freehand. Freehand is something that can easily, even if it's simple freehand, like putting runes on a shield... Or just wait, like, wait, it, it's Ben's turn to talk about freehand. We already went off I, about freehand. I'm going to raise my hand and wait till I get called on. Ben, please talk about freehand. I usually am the guy interrupting. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to point quick. I think we established freehanding helps the models. It may not help heaps and gods towards tournament score, mm-hmm. but it helps make your models, personalize your models and stand them out. And it's something that's scary for folks. One of the things I think you that's really simple when you're starting out doing freehanding is to understand black lining or white lining your freehand work. Now, that basically means, and for me, this means I start out with a really thin down. I like to do black lining personally. White lining looks really good, though, too. And that means I basically, when I'm done with the freehand, the outside of whatever it was I did is lined with a thin very very thin layer of black or a very very thin layer of white and it helps make that pop better off the mm-hmm. uh, off the model mm-hmm. i like to start by black lining whatever it is i'm going to design with a really 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 thin thin down black mm-hmm. uh, a lot of water mixed in at least 50 50 it's a really milky black and then i start my my black line 
because then it gives me the contour, the shape that I want, whatever it is that I want to paint. Mm-hmm. And then it's just painting within the and lines. And then it's just painting within the lines, which simplifies freehanding. Yes. And so if you're starting out, I just wanted to point out that tip to getting yourself started with freehanding. Then you can start doing things when you get down the roads to really establish your freehanding, and you can watch some videos and whatever. And, mm-hmm. and this isn't, I don't think our discussion here is so much about how to do it, but that was certainly, if you're starting out, that's a really big tip mm-hmm. to it. And as, well, you, as you said, having the black or white line can also increase your color options. Colors that might have otherwise blended in with what you were painting on mm-hmm. might now actually stand out a little bit more. It will. It does help. But I, you should still, when you're doing your freehand, try to pick something that contrasts. Like if you're, you're doing, if your army, if you were doing your army green and gold or red and white or blue and yellow or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe that backdrop is uh, the of that shield was red. Well, I want to then maybe white line, you know, black line. I'll do a black line of whatever it is, and then I'll paint my contrasting color the white or right. something similar then. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also part of it comes down to army selection to a certain extent. If you are somebody who's very confident in painting smooth blends, you're going to want to choose an army that has a lot of fabric on it because those smooth blends are really going to be showcased on an army, say, like Chaos Warriors or Bretonians that have a lot of nice flat space in order to make those blends really shine. Not just cloth, but also, like with Chaos, armor that's going to be painted. Mm-hmm. Enameled armor, that kind of a situation. Yeah. But, for example, if you don't feel confident with your very, very smooth blends and you think, you know what, I, I think I paint bone really well. Mm-hmm. Well, choose a color scheme or an army that really can let you highlight that. So Beastmen would obviously be an obvious choice. Even Ogres, to a certain extent, can use that really well. And Vampire Counts or Tomb Kings yeah. are also a very natural choice for that kind of a situation. So I think part of it is to decide what you're comfortable painting with and what you honestly think that you paint the best. And so if you focus on smoothing blending, I think, like I said, big flat surfaces work really well. If you think that you paint armor really, really well, then work on Chaos Warriors, perhaps, or maybe Bretonians, or even an Empire Cavalry Army. Mm -hmm. There's always something that you can do to focus on your strength. If you paint skin really well, maybe you want to do ogres, maybe you want to do beastmen. All of these models have different surfaces that really can pop based on the paint job that you apply to them. And then there's also one or two armies where, you can, where you're can, you allowed to go a little weird. Demons being, it's mm-hmm. really hard to say that's not appropriate. I mean... Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other thing about demons is that if you're not comfortable painting skin, it will look pretty natural on a demon as long as you can highlight it well. Right. So if you really just want to focus on something that really, really pops the highlights out, demons would be a very obvious choice for that. Oh, yeah. If you have the luxury of choosing which army you're going to be able to paint based on how you feel comfortable painting, I think that would be a very good option to start. Ben, would you have anything to add on that topic? No, I don't choose an army personally because it's something, because of the way it's physical aesthetic okay. to get that appearance aesthetic. I don't, paint, I don't pick armies personally to try to get that. It is an interesting take. I do like the take. I, I think you could, you could definitely pick an army to your strong point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how would you take your army? How have you taken your armies 
to get to an eye-popping level on your miniatures? I tend to paint, me personally, I tend to paint purples and reds and natural colors, I think, fairly well. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that I'm getting to, I'm turning the point where I'm able to blend and, and whatnot at this point to to do the, the high-level blending. So I, I have a pretty wide range of stuff that I like to do. I think as a and when you early when you start out things with fur and things you can dry brush things that have really definite definitive ridges for models mm-hmm. when you're starting out are really easy to get those additional layers of highlighting because you can just quickly dry brush them and that's a a level of highlighting that you didn't have to work terribly hard on. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to understand necessarily paint flow and stuff like that. I think one other point to make on this is your basing can definitely also help set oh, yeah. your army apart. I know I don't think I'm the best technical painter. I'm working on it, but I got comment after comment on my bases for my ogre army. I've used granite on the bases and then just painted that with a simple one-color wash over the top of a black base coat, and I've gotten comments all over the place about it. And that's something you can also do to make your mm. army stand out. I don't know what you think of the uh, Nurgle basing that mm-hmm. I've got going, but what I've used is coarse pumice. Mm-hmm. And then I... I prime over that, paint over it, and I use. I actually put one, two, three, four, five, six different colors, wash, and then an art coat on my bases. So, mm-hmm. and I also do it to match my display board. And when you have that kind of work into a base, mm-hmm. or like John Wagner's Dark yep. Elves, where he's he's got the city sculpted city the bases mm-hmm. and then painted them. Those look amazing too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also a fair point to be made on basing. If you're going to do something like using pumice or uh, like using granite, sometimes those can really make your army not look as good uh, based on the color choice. And so if that's something that you're not confident in, just painting an army with a regular basing style, with you get some sand on there, you dry brush it, you get a couple layers on there, mm-hmm. and then flock. That looks gorgeous on 90% of the armies as well. And if you don't pull off basing well, it can definitely detract from the model. And I think in my situation, my demons, I tried something kind of interesting. In my mind, I was like, okay, demons, they're in this like this plane of magic. So all the bases on my demons, I mixed up a snow mixture and then added mithril silver or bulk on gray to it. So it, to me, that was like, okay, this is the stuff of magic. And they're actually, that's why the bases are painted in this way. But I don't get any kind of a special <laughs> no, um, any kind of special attention for those bases and I think it actually detracts a little bit from the paint jobs themselves because the bases mm-hmm. are just so bright that it actually draws attention away from the highlighting on the miniatures themselves or a subtle but you know in th- but nice mm-hmm. or can work very very well exactly uh, and I think basing is something where you can definitely use characters on your character models to help them stand out really, really well. Dynamic basing can really make sure that when you're looking mm-hmm. at an army, there's your general, there's your BSB, well, there's your level four. But like your monsters, your mm-hmm. a number of things, anything that has a large surface area, adding something, even if it's simple as a broken wheel, mm-hmm. can just add that just enough that it looks interesting. Well, and Greg Person, I think, is a great example with his terror geist how he's based the Terrorgeist on the Empire Watchtower mm-hmm. and then on the base itself. I think that's a, a, an amazing example of using basing to really highlight a model and to catch someone's eye. 
I don't think anybody that walked past his display board didn't notice that terror geist. Uh, ben, what would you do to make a character stand out in your army? A character itself? I don't know if I'm really good at that. Tend to keep everything. I don't like when a character or a just from me, just me personally. I don't care for when somebody goes ridiculous crazy mm-hmm. and changes changes up their basing dramatically or changes up their you know painting dramatically to paint their characters to an exponentially better level or make their characters i certainly agree i mean little tidbits like a broken wagon wheel or a skull here or there really helps but i I like that consistency over the army i don't necessarily and i know a lot of tournaments score this and so it's important i think maybe to do i think it's important to maintain a coherent consistency across the level of the painting across the level of the army entirely mm-hmm. and looks consistent that you're not dramatically going above and beyond the level you're not changing like oh my god i'm doing better i, I think one of the uh, ohio hammer had a golden demon painter on and one of the things that he said when he you know when he looks at people's like whole army paints he's not looking for that you know for those guys that are in the front rank he's picking up the guy that's three ranks deep in a unit it's kind of buried in that unit, and he wants to see if that guy is painted as well as the rest of the guys in the unit. Now, most tournament appearance scoring probably isn't to that strictness, and you certainly that's not going to get you uh, tournament points probably more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I think that consistency, you, if you paint everything consistently to, uh, to, to the level you're comfortable in, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if you've got to try to make those characters or monsters stand out a little bit sure add little bits to the basing add maybe that one additional layer of highlighting or whatever you want to do don't go i don't think you i mean you don't want to go to the opposite like oh hey all of a sudden i'm going to have this character standing on a rock outcropping mm-hmm. when everybody else is basically on flocked bases yeah with a little maybe a little sand on them all of a sudden they're like, like that guy where did this rock come from Okay, that doesn't make sense. But then if I did that rock, I did little rock bits maybe on all of my models' bases, and then this guy's standing on a big rock, and there's some chunks of rock maybe modeled also on my chariot's base, and a chunk of rock that I have a monster that's got one foot, he's standing with one foot on that rock. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden that makes sense, and I keep that coherency throughout the entire army it's not just about making that one model's base better it's about making everything's base a little bit better and keeping that coherency that i think then makes it you don't want to go too far into that like oh hey i'm gonna sculpt out this cool little road pattern on this guy's base Mm -hmm. because i can and then he sits on my display board this way well that's fine but when i don't have him on the display board it doesn't make sense Mm mm-hmm that loses some of that coherency and that judge might not necessarily look at your army when sitting on your display board especially on like a one day tournament where your army is sitting on your display board for maybe 30 minutes 45 minutes when that judge runs around tries to score everybody's army chances are it ain't going to be there Mm -hmm. well and i think one other thing that actually fits in well with your idea is to do subtle or even a more extravagant conversion on your character models to really make them stand out from the rank and file Obviously, the character models in general are designed to stand out a little bit based on Mm -hmm. a decent amount of paint. But even a small conversion can really make a big difference on a little model if it's something that you really want to stand out from the rest of them. 
Do you agree, Ben? No. No. This goes back to our conversion conversation a few episodes back mm -hmm. where I talked about conversions and a, a con good conversion mm -hmm. should be something you can't tell it's converted. You'd have to be extremely versed with the model line to be able to tell that's an actual conversion. Mm -hmm. Like, And we started out this conversation by using Johnny's Army as a example, right? Mm -hmm. Can you honestly tell that anything was converted in his army by just looking at it if you don't know the model range? If I don't know the model range, no. The only reason I know... No, I, I couldn't tell. The only reason I knew his best, of course, was because I recognized the Chaos Warrior bodies. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You look at it and you look at it and they go, that doesn't exist in the model line. Where'd that come from? But it's mm -hmm. so seamlessly converted. Yep. So, and that's great conversion work. Mm -hmm. And so if I do if I do a conversion on my character... Mm -hmm. If it's done well, it doesn't stand out. I can't tell the difference. And I don't know that it's a conversion unless I know the model line. Now, I, I'm hoping the ju uh, judges that mm -hmm. are judging my score and certainly including conversions in my army helps me get a better appearance score in most tournaments. Mm -hmm. But it's not one of those things, like if I'm doing my conversions right, mm -hmm. it'll help that character model stand out, but not because it's converted... Mm -hmm. Because the pose makes my model look more dynamic. Or my pose helps capture what this character's feel is about, I think. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's where the conversion part comes in. So the next question is, do you have to put a large amount of paint onto a unit to make it look good? And I think you kind of covered that a little bit with your pick two contrasting tones and put them on the model and really play those contrasting tones off to be the focus of the paint job itself. I'd say I with, think yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, especially with the contrasting colors you're going to put a lot of time into those. You might put a lot of coats of paint on a model. Yeah. Right. It's just going to be very similar in color. Mhm. Mm I might be working up that red. Like when I do my red, that's probably without the extreme watered-down layers, just doing, like, the red I've done on my Dark Elves. Mm -hmm. That's seven or eight layers of color mm -hmm. of different brush of different times I'm going back over it with strokes mm -hmm. to get that level of look. Yeah. So, I mean, that's there's still a lot of paint there. There's still a lot of paint that went on the model. There's a lot of color there. It's just that all one color. So the number of colors to paint well for a tournament is definitely less. But the, 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 the amount of additional times I might go back over a coat right. because I'm painting that coat really, really well. I'm painting those signature colors really, really well. I mean, I put a lot of time into getting that green on those warriors. I'd say slightly less maybe on the yellow. I mean, but I still put a fair amount of color between those two, but the other colors like the leather on the belts and boots or the, the, the halberds, nowhere near the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the last thing I think I have a point on here is... If you're fielding a horde army, so say Skaven or all goblins, something like that, do you think that you can get as good of a paint score without having as many layers on an army that has that many miniatures? Well, with Skaven, I would recommend people use... It used to be Devil in the Bud, now it's their shade. Mm -hmm. I would recommend using that for fur. But still, before you use the wash, do at least two, maybe three if you're feeling fancy mm -hmm. colors, and then do a slight highlight after. Yeah. And that, where you're going to do the work on like something like Skaven, which are so dirty, work on the armor or the cloth or their shields. Mm -hmm. Pick one or, I'd say almost two of those three things, make those look good, 
and then you can make the like the fur just kind of background mm-hmm. almost. But if you make the like the shields and the cloth look nice and the armor look all right, mm-hmm. y- you're still going to go a long ways. Yeah, and I think the signature colors really sell themselves really well in a horde army more than sometimes on a smaller army because there's so many different spots of that color mm-hmm. showing up. Ben, what are your thoughts on it? Some, I'd say this is sometimes. Now, with a army like Beastmen, Skaven, you need to... And then we'll give them a, I think we'll kick back right back to the Johnny Hastings example. Mm-hmm. And it's something I'm learning as I'm painting my Beastmen, and I'm going to probably have to change up my color scheme because it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Even though I've got the technical skill on the models, it's just not working. And that's on a nat- when a, on a model that's largely an all-natural color, that you just can't get away from it because it's largely fur or largely hair or largely even the ogre's mm-hmm. flesh tone. Your contrast colors, the colors you pick, if you pick another natural color to go with it, mm-hmm. like a like a red, a green, a dark red, you know, if a it's a, like a, like a, yeah. like if it's like a leafy green color or a a, a darker red. It doesn't work with the model. It has mm-hmm. to be a bright color. A blue, mm-hmm. a yellow. You have the blue, white. the yellows, pink, pink you know, a, a limer, like a lime green, yep. something that really mm-hmm. comes out and pops really bright. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Skaven armies that have technically painted well, mm-hmm. but like their plague monks are all in dark green cloaks. Yeah. And all of a sudden it looks like a, just a kind of block pile of color on the table whereas if they would have used you know a pink or a, a lime know. green for those cloaks mm-hmm. instead that would have had a lot more pop factor mm-hmm. it would have been more eye-catching and people would notice it much more another mm-hmm. technique you, you see this a lot with goblins like with the night goblins when they have those little uh dags or yellow things sprewing mm-hmm. out on their cloaks that's another thing you could consider doing if they got cloaks or something is doing that little extra detail mm-hmm. to or face paint. You could go with uh, your vestigors and paint a blue face paint. Mm-hmm. Something very different that's not necessarily physically on the model, mm-hmm. but you could do it to add something. Yeah, just like a signature, basically color or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would work really, really well. Yep, my I, my night goblins. I did do. I do the orange dig dags and that mm-hmm. purple and orange. Said all my cloaks are dark are a darker purple, and all of a sudden you get those orange dig dags on those goblins. Mm-hmm. That helps really make those models pop better and be more eye catching, mm-hmm. especially when you're dealing with fifty or seventy, you know, fifty or seventy models in a unit. Mm-hmm. That at some point, painting every single model to that extremely high level. Mm-hmm. gets boring and repetitious. Yeah, just and, listen to Point Hammered and Johnny talking about how hard it is to get back into painting those models, if you have any doubts about that. <laughs> well, he's, she's not even painting units of 50 or 60, really. Mm-hmm. He's painting units of, like, 25 or 30. But, like, if you really want to listen to an example, you listen to Garage Hammer and David Wytek talk about painting those zombies. And he's painting... I mean, zombies are dirt cheap right now. He's painting a lot of zombies. Mm-hmm. And at some point, mm-hmm. it's just meticulous... You have to lock into like this brain, brainless kind of. Most eh, PC players eh. have more zombies than a lot of armies have models in their army. Yeah, and I think the kind of final point I would have on this topic is, if you can paint a color well that nobody else has on their models, that's also going to make your army stand out. Yellows are a very good color. Yeah, well, before Johnny Hastings painted his beastmen, I can't think of anybody that painted blue with that high of a contrast on their models and really made that stand out. 
I think that wasn't necessarily a common color, but I don't. I wouldn't say that there's a specific color that nobody else paints. Well, but you can always choose but, to use a pastel color scheme, and mm-hmm. sometimes on demons that works really, really well. A really bright orange is something that people don't typically do, uh, or even just a really bright yellow, like on your Swiss. Nobody really paints stuff really bright yellow, mm-hmm. and that's because those are harder colors to paint. And to choose a harder color and to be able to master that and to be able to show that off on your army can also make your army stand out really, really well for a tournament. I'd say also whites are not the most common either. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of white, though, I think. But they're usually not a focus color. They're usually more of a detailed color, at at least in my experience of looking at White's a hard focus color because there's just nothing to it. I mean, it Mm -hmm. doesn't... I don't don't know that you want to make white your focus color if you're painting for tournament either because it's just... eh. Except there's for nothing. There's not <laughs> anything. But it's not a focus color. It's a secondary color. His primary color is blue. It's not mm-hmm. a focus color. It is its complement color. His contrast color to his blue. All right. Well, do you have any more thoughts on painting for tournaments, Ben? I don't know. I mean, I could probably go on a topic for a while, but it's it's really just the uh, paint to your not only to your best ability, but paint in a way that you got to think about some whoever's looking at your army too when you're painting for a tournament mm-hmm. most tournaments are in a, if you're going to a larger tournament it's in a big event hall mm-hmm. and there's a lot of armies so you want to paint things in a way we get to the you know when we talk about painting those yellows or the the pinks or the whatever on these and getting these crazy contrasts when when your appearance judge has looked at 40 other armies what does your army offer that differs? Like, we talked about this going into the segment a little bit before just off the air about my Dark Elves and how I feel like I'm behind the curve because my Dark Elves are painted in a tra- more traditional Dark Elf color scheme. Mm-hmm. A dark, you know, the purples, and I'm using uh, Dark Maroon Red. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we looked at some of the appearance scores. And I, I, for Invasion Kenosha... I don't know exactly when they were posted, but my appearance score is significantly further behind. And there's some other reasons for that mm-hmm. than, say, Paul's Ogres and Robert's Chaos Army. Mm-hmm. And I think a good portion of that is one of the things is I don't... When he's looked at 20, 20 other armies or so at the event, mm-hmm. and here he looks at the Dark Elves, and they're very... My Dark Elves, and they're very traditionally painted. They're very traditionally schemed. Yeah. Now I'll give you... I had some some bad models at that event and my mm-hmm. basing some of the models had some like i had them in a bad carrying case and there's there's some other reasons for that mm-hmm. but a big portion of that is that it is, it is it's the same traditional color scheme i i've heard people talk about it, like they're i'm sick of seeing this so all of a sudden they see it and it's got a like oh, i've seen that before mm-hmm. and so painting those other colors do help you get that i didn't see it before yeah and uh, Swiss, I think yours is a really good example of painting for your local meta, whereas mm. you painted your armies up to be a Packer color scheme. Right. And well, so well, that wasn't really intentional. That was not intentionally initially, to be honest. But, but I, I carried it through. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think makes people talk about your army. And you know, I think if you're a Packers fan and you're looking or at an army, if they're your their rival team to them, mm-hmm. even the Bears fans talked about it. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that you can do that's kind of more not necessarily based on paint technical skill, but simply based on your knowledge of the people who are going to be looking at your army. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can paint your... I'm doing the Brett's... I want to do my... I get a couple of 
Brett units, uh, night units painted up to represent various NFL teams. I'd like to just do like a, each each unit of nights would be a division in football, mm-hmm. and so painting something like that will certainly help you get your American football. By the way, yes, <laughs> will get you some additional recognition because all of a sudden somebody looks at it and goes, whether they agree, maybe maybe you do paint your this army is your your local sports team, you know, whether that's your american or your or soccer mm-hmm. team or whatever it is if you do that that does help that's something that helps you, you get that uniqueness level mm-hmm. and my night goblins have never truly embodied that halloween theme but if i got them there mm-hmm. that would be something that truly defines it because there's not a lot of halloween themed armies on the table mm-hmm. of course when domus did his wood elves i mean you look at it and, and i think this is something i've gotten from him before and domus you can correct me if i'm wrong but that I, th- I think he's come across a couple times and said that he didn't feel like some of his things were technically painted mm-hmm. as well as other people that he would be at tournament with before, but he, that his overall appearance score might be equal or better than theirs because his army was so unique and looked so much different mm-hmm. with his the pumpkin-chucking treeman and the you know, that evil-looking fall harvest. Mm-hmm wood elves that he had well and if you look at his color scheme too i think it's a good example he's got almost everything in this very dark drab color scheme and then the details really just pop out with those primary colors the orange being a prime example and even white as well and those really pop your eye to the miniatures whether or not you necessarily want to look at them because it's something that really draws the eye in Mm -hmm. now i will have a word of warning if you live in the uk i wouldn't advise painting your army in say chelsea colors and then taking it down to Portsmouth or something and playing a game with them. Because in America, we don't have hooligans like you do in the U.K. So We may have the backers-bear rivalry, but it's more, let's go have a beer. Yeah, nobody's ever been punched in the face over it, to my knowledge. So, Well, just some sports, of... sports stadiums, you shouldn't show up Yes, <laughs> in the other team's colors. But just, just a word of warning. So. so we're going to go ahead and cut a break here, and when we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Hey yo folks, Wisco Dice is bringing you a special series coming soon. We are unshackling the Conzy and launching Conzy's Diaries. Conzy's Diaries will be a short show focusing on what Conzy is working on, the games he's playing, and hey, whatever else the Conzy wants to do. So hey, we're going to launch the show three times a week. Make sure you listen, tune it in, man. Yes, yes, Cozy, he's my favorite. You gotta listen. (laughs) And now it's time for Cozy's Run! Alright, folks. So, we got back from Invasion Kenosha and. I had a good time. I mean, I won't. I don't think any of us here can deny we had a. We didn't have a good time, but 
I think even when you listen to the show and you listen to what I've talked about and my personal experience of the event is that I didn't do what today's Conzie's rant is about. <laughs> and that's to just have fun with it. It's just a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that me personally, I, I need to drive on. But I think everybody needs to remember that. It's that you need to just have fun with it. It's just a game after all. We're just pushing little toy soldiers around to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I might have taken a certain unkillable dreadlord getting killed by a cockatrice a little hard. But <laughs> when it comes down to the end of the day, that was like one of those really unique events that doesn't happen very long. And you should just chuckle with it and rather than be as frustrated or down as I was. So just have fun with it. Have, it's just a game after all, folks. Okay. So anyways... It's going to be a couple of weeks here, just after Raj Podge, when we get back. Mm-hmm. What kind of hobby and gaming goals do we want to shoot for ourselves? Well, I would like to get my 20 gore and my 10 best gore assembled by the time we have our next recording session. I'm a little tired of clipping models off of the sprue, putting them in the bits box, and not getting them assembled for forever. So I'd like to make sure that that happens. Yeah, my models don't get clipped off the sprue and yeah. put into a bits box. They I'm going to take an anti sprue and assembled at the same time. Yeah, I'm going to take an anti bend stance here. So <laughs> instead of just having my sprues sitting around all the time and not getting assembled, I'm going to try and get the sprues home, get them assembled within a couple weeks of having that bought the miniatures. Yeah, that doesn't happen for me. <laughs> There's, a, I have an actually really good reason why I do things that way, not to get off topic again. <laughs> We've been really bad this show, <laughs> but there's a really good reason why I do that, and that's because if I assemble it now, mm-hmm. I buy a lot of things, and I've bought a lot of miniatures that are sitting on my shelf right now because I didn't have the intention to play with them right away, that I saw the need, either the price point was really good, mm-hmm. or I saw the need that six months or a year from now... I might need those. Like I bought, like when the metal models were going out, like when metal hammerers were not weren't available to be, you know, like I knew they were going to be making fine cast ones. I don't want the fine cast ones. I wanted the metal ones to match the other metal hammerers I have. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything probably any difference in the models, but I just with the way I transport models, I put those additional heavy those heavy metal models on the same tray with the, the fine cast ones. There may be some breakage banging around whatever in the tray, you know, in the in the transport and or even in gameplay from, like, oh, is that a metal one or a fine cast one? I don't know. Grab, oh, I stuck to the magnetic tray and it was a fine cast and now I snapped the guy's hammerhead off or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was important to buy additional metal models. No, I, yeah, I wasn't playing dwarves. I haven't played dwarves and I wouldn't have a plan to play dwarves for the next couple of years. So that's why they sat there. I also don't assemble models right away because... I bought this. I'm I'm buying a lot of Warriors of Chaos stuff right now. Mm -hmm. It's not because I have an intention to play Warriors of Chaos anytime soon. I'm not intending to paint these anytime soon. And the new, there may be a new army book out before I get a chance to before I get a chance to play with them. So why assemble them in a way that might be obsolete by the time by the time I'm actually playing them? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of sat on the shelf in that respect until i get to that point so it's there is a little bit of a method behind my madness mm-hmm. but it's see, not a good method but i'm fine with letting them sit there and mm-hmm. waiting I'd, I'd rather have that wait until i'm ready to use it 
and then get it done. And I'm not purchasing models. I've purchased models that I'm probably going to use for the next six months already, and they're already assembled. Mm-hmm. It's not, and I'm working on painting them right now. In tech, I'm working on my models I bought 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought the old that old cauldron of blood 10 years ago that has the little wheels on it and stuff, You know, the one that had the wheels and stuff. I bought that 10, 12 years ago because I thought it was really cool. I never thought about including it. I thought at the time I was going to buy it and assemble it and paint it to be a shelf piece. I was never going to put it in an army. Mm-hmm. But I'm working on, that's one of, things, one of the things that's on my assembly table and my, I'm working on right now is because I want to use that and I think the model's really cool, but I couldn't. I there's no way I could buy that right now unless I got lucky off an eBay bid, right? So, well, and usually when I buy stuff, it's because I need it to finish an army or to work on an army itself. So, our buying habits are just vastly different. And you purchase armies differently than I do. You purchase to build usually a list mm-hmm. or a concept that you have in mind. I build to complete collections, mm-hmm. and so that's another reason why I think I have models that. I'm happy buying a model because it's going to complete a collection and let it sit on the shelf for six months, two years, three years, ten years, fifteen years, because it completed that collection I was buying at the time. All right. Well, how about hobby and gaming goals? Do you have any for the next couple weeks? No, back on topic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I really would like, I need to finish up some more shades. I think I mentioned that earlier. I need to finish that tower for Raj Podge. And then if I really got fortunate, I'd want to pump out some uh, repeater crossbow elves, and I'd like to get the, the rest of what I'm doing to tweak the conversion for my Cauldron of Blood done. All right. Then That's a lot of stuff. My hobby goal is currently just keep working on the Dragon's Farm. I'm not necessarily planning on getting it finished by the time there's the next episode. Uh, I might take a side note to paint up the tower that I bought recently. And then I'm probably going to start planning my massive effort to repaint my Chaos Dwarves. All right. I should finally note that somewhere in here really quick, I have to start Merry Mayhem 2012, the last Mayhem before the end of the world was announced. (laughs) (laughs) And at Blood in the Sun, and we're now, I've got, I'm at near 50% full this many months out, which has really got me excited. And that means that my renewed effort to work on tables for that event and such is going to start taking over my garage here very shortly. Probably it may not be before the next show, but pretty quick here I'm going to have need to make 15 more boards for tables for Mayhem this year, and that's going to probably take over my projects. Plus I have terrain I need to work on, so there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to need to happen for that to pull off what I have envisioned, so there will be a lot of that work too coming up. All right. Well, sounds good. Plus, plug for Merry Mayhem. Come on. Got to come up to it. All right. Plug for Merry Mayhem. It's a great event. Obviously, Toys for Tots is a great charity. Mm -hmm. If you are anywhere in the Madison area, I'd highly recommend coming. There's also local Wisconsin Madison Brats. And maybe we could even get some cheese curds for Swiss here so he can actually (laughs) try cheese curds for the first time. I might even even donate just for that. I I honestly can't believe that you've never had cheese curds. It's just never happened. It it boggles the mind that someone could grow up in Wisconsin and never have eaten a cheese curd. It just happened. Like, it's a freak law of law of physics that I'm one of the few, the chosen elite few. That, that's not chosen, and that's not. Elite. That's not chosen, and that's, it's not elite. And it's not a law of physics. That's pretty close to food. being a Bears fan. Yeah, I, uh, cheese curds. I, eh. 
You don't even know if you like them or not. I don't. You don't know. If you I like don't. cheese, you like cheese curd. That's all there is to it. <sighs> all right, so... Picking on the Swiss. Contact the show hosts, for example, give us a donation so Swiss can actually try cheese curds. <laughs> Where can you find us, Ben? Yeah, we'll we'll take those donations to buy Swiss some cheese curds, and the leftover funds will go towards the show. I mean, we've just invested. If you haven't heard, we just invested a big chunk of money in getting a new mixer. We've got a. We still. I mean, Swiss is poor. Swiss is here sitting in a metal chair in the studio, so. Hey, throw in some money so our guests can have some chairs and stuff. We'd really like that. Yeah, if you need, if you don't see the, I don't think I have the my PayPal account listed to get that money sent into, and we'll give you a shout out for that. Oh yeah, just ten dollars. We'll give you a shout out. Whatever you want us to pretty much read, as long as it's okay to be read on our clean show. And we'll guarantee that Swiss will eat some cheese curds. Yep. Even if we have to force them down his throat. <laughs> kind of a fun on-air thing to do next episode. Swiss so, eating cheese Anyways, curds. yeah, we're, we are taking shout-outs. Get, get us the money. If you need to know where the PayPal account is, PM me on the forums or just email me at, I think that's one of our contacts, actually. Which is iTunes. You can get a hold of us, right? Well, I wouldn't go ahead and try to get a hold of us on iTunes. That's You leave a comment for us. Okay. Well, leave, Black- leave your you leave your comments about what you thought about the show. Yep, and you can certainly leave those. the same thing with BlackBerry podcasts or even Start Your Smart Radio, where we're all listed. You can download the show, leave leave comments and help. We do read those. We try to get around and read a bunch of the major. It's just like especially with the iTunes, we get around and read the major ones in the UK, the US, Australia. Australia. We we get around. We try to catch a bunch of different countries. Round, ones. Round, round, round. All right, and also you can get a hold of us on WiscoDice.com. That's, WiscoDice.com. That's WiscoDice.com and at the com forum. Or you can like us on Facebook or join the Facebook group. Hey, our likes have, like, gone awesome. We are closing in. We're closing in on 100. This is for our Facebook page, the, yeah. the WiscoDice Facebook page. You need to get out and like the WiscoDice Facebook page. If we're, we're continuing to throw in prizes to that, I think we've got a Impact City Roller Derby team. We've mm-hmm. got some books from... Black Library Black, swag. We've got... A regiment, I believe you said. Yeah, I think there's a regiment of something I threw in there. And uh, courtesy of uh, Invasion Kenosha, because I won and I already have a Doom Bowl and an Avatars of War Beast Lord, you know what? If you like us on Facebook, you have a chance to win one of those two. And it's a metal Doom Bowl. You can't even get that anymore. Each one of those will be going into the drawing as separate drawing items. So now we've got we have five or six different items that we're giving away in this drawing. So that's And it's free. All you have to do is take a second and hit the little thumbs up on Facebook. Yeah, Get your so, girlfriend to like it or something even. Increase your chances. Exactly. Well, that's kind of like cheating, but that's fine with us. <laughs> we didn't set any rules for this hey, contest. My girlfriend, likes. my girlfriend's getting into Warhammer, so it's not cheating for her to do it. Ah, all right. Or you can follow us on Twitter, at WiscoDice. Hi, I'm the cool one. Or at Duggan Brightax. He's Dugan Brightax, and he's just a loud one that posts all the time. But usually most of his posts are nonsensical and make no sense. Well, yeah. I'm, you want I'm the quality posts, you follow Dugan Brightax. I, I see. Or you can find us at Google+, WiscoDice at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can email the hosts. I am P. Wagner at WiscoDice.com. Or you can email the Conesy at bcone at wiscodice.com. <laughs> or you can email us at hosts at wiscodice.com and tell both of us how bad we are. Right? How good we are. Or how good I am, anyways. Yeah. I mean, we all accept the fact that Paul's not any good, but that's besides the point. Yeah. I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland. 
Yes, except when it comes to cheese curds. <laughs> That's just un-American. I, yeah. America. Un-American. All right, well, it's been fun. What are you all these strange looks? The fan isn't going to talk there, on this episode? Where, where is the fan? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe what's, I, what's that muffled? Coming hey, hang from. on. I think I hear him coming up the stairs. Oh, there he is. <laughs> yes, I didn't I almost miss my spot. <laughs> oh, this, this painting for tournaments. You guys are geniuses. I really need to do all that stuff. And it wasn't fair that Fall won that Invasion Kenosha thing. That should have been Coenzies. Oh, wait, no, probably not. Anyways, peace out, folks. <laughs> yes, 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 Coenzie. <laughs> that was pretty good. Why did, why did we wait? That seems like a bad idea. Dude, it's our fan. He's the one that beats people up in the parking lot, man. Yeah, all the more reason I should not wait for him. <laughs> all right, folks, peace out. Wait, he's throwing cheese curds at Swiss.